Welcome back to Second and Short. It is April 21st, 2023. We got plenty of stuff going around. Some sticky stuff on people's hands. Some controversies. Some horrible starting pitching. But we've also got the draft a week away as we're recording this. It's going to be a fun one. We've got our round one mock drafts. Going to be presenting them to you. We've also got the UCL semifinals are set. Kind of interesting weekend in the Prem, as well as the FA Cup semifinals to talk about. Luke, you ready to get into it? Let's fucking do it. I still, Grayson, have no idea what's going to happen in this draft. <laughs> I, I really don't either. It is so polarizing. So let's go ahead and talk MLB because we've got – I've got plenty. Uh, I, it was a very interesting – just a couple of days. I, you know, I was on here Wednesday's episode, had plenty of stuff. There's a ton going on in the MLB – I got to start it off with the hottest topic right now. Max Scherzer gets tossed for the sticky stuff, but I think it's some bullshit. So umpire Phil Cousy, 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 whatever, he ejected Max Scherzer, but he the the whole so- story is crazy. So Max Scherzer in his post game presser in the locker room laid out the entire story. Phil Cousy checked his hands and glove, said that like the his rosin was clumping up a little bit. That okay. Told him to go wash it off. Goes, locker room, washes it off, comes back out, and Phil Cousy says, Nope, still too sticky. Goes back, washes it in front of an MLB official. In front of the MLB official that stays right outside of the dugout, Max Scherzer washed his hand with rubbing alcohol and water, reapplies the rosin, goes back out there. Phil Cousy says it again. Says, too sticky. And they said, the glove's too sticky, and they eject him. And Max Scherzer fucking lost his mind on Phil Cousy, like, yelling, like, it's just rosin, like, like, this is bullshit. And, like, in his postgame presser, said that he said to Phil Cousy, on my kids' lives, it is just rosin. Damn. Not, not the guy you want to eject like that. Nah, dude. Max Scherzer <laughs> is fucking crazy. Like, he's yeah. got some issues. And if you're going to get mad at him for some shit that I, I honestly, I believe Max Scherzer. I think this is bullshit. And because Phil Cousy, the umpire that ejected him, is the only umpire in the MLB, to have ejected a player for sticky stuff. There's been three ejections now, including Scherzer. All three of them have been initiated by Phil Cousy. Wow. Okay. Maybe he needs a little bit of some evaluating. Yeah, it's interesting. And um, so he'll now face a 10-day suspension. He's going to appeal the claim, obviously. His agent, Scott Boris, one of the biggest agents in the MLB, made a statement, said... MLB standards and rules enforcement should mandate and require an objective, verifiable standard. If you want to attack the integrity of the competition, you need clear, precise standards or else you damage the game and its players. I love this. I think that this is something that often gets overlooked. When when we make these big changes to the game, it seems like there's always going to be a problem. And... If the MLB is not willing to cover all bases with every single rule that they make, then 
it's it's their fault when things don't go the right way. Yeah, um, I just I, I'm still stuck on the fact that a MLB official literally watched him wash his hands. I I don't I I feel like that should have been you know he should have kind of stuck it up for Scherzer there. Uh, yeah, he went out. You know what I mean? Like he should have been like, no, listen, like we can't we can't eject them for this. Like this is like a little bit too crazy now. I literally watched him wash his hands. Well, the rosin was just too good, I guess. I guess. And like everybody knows that rosin mixed with sweat or any liquid, including the, the rubbing alcohol he washes hands with, it's still going to clump up and, and get sticky. That's just how that works. Rosin mixed with liquid gets sticky. That's just how it goes. And like Scherzer said it himself in the postgame presser, he was like, I would be stupid to walk out there knowing that I'm going to get checked again for the fourth inning to walk out there and reapply fucking, you know, whatever it is. Like, it's so ridiculous. And just to even further prove that Scherzer wasn't doing anything crazy or different, his spin rate was right on average with his other starts this season. And it is very hard to keep your spin rate the same if you're using some sticky stuff. Yeah, I mean, shit, it's even... I feel like spin rate is one of those things that like almost never changes throughout a player's career. And that's why I remember uh, people were using spin rate as a big stat for the sticky stuff. Like Garrett Cole's spin rate, you know, taking these jumps and other players like spin rate is something that really shouldn't change that often. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it can, if you change up your mechanics a little bit, it can differ over seasons, but you know, between his four starts this season, it's not going to change. Like that much over a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I can't believe he got tossed like that. Horrible. Yeah, it's it is insane. Uh, I do want to talk though? I've got a bunch of some pitchers that we saw some interesting performances out of. Some guys that probably haven't heard all that much about since they were like dominant in like 2016. But Let's talk about Clayton Kershaw. He recorded his 200th win of his career in only 288 career decisions. That's crazy. That's good for a win percentage of 694, which is the highest all-time with a minimum of 200 wins. His ERA now drops to 248 for his career. That's the best in the live ball era, which is since 1920. That's among pitchers with 200 wins as well. Another record here. It also makes him 11 and 0 versus the Mets in his career, becoming the fifth pitcher since 1893 to go 11 and 0 or better in the regular season versus single team. Dang, Kershaw out there throwing throwing gas again. <laughs> yeah, vintage Clayton Kershaw. An outstanding performance in that one as well. Uh I believe he went uh 7 innings, 2 hits, 9 Ks. Um, seven innings, three hits, nine strikeouts. Okay, yeah. In a in a five nothing shutout against the Mets. Fantastic from Clayton Kershaw. I love it. But a guy that was at the top of the game right along with Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner. Good lord, does he suck? Three innings <laughs> pitched. All right, three innings pitched, seven hits, seven earned runs, four walks, two strikeouts. That puts his season stats in his four games. 10-26 ERA in 16.2 innings pitched, 10 strikeouts, and a 2.4 whip, which, in case anybody's not familiar, whip is walks and hits per inning pitched. 
I still, I still love um, him telling Wilson Contreras to shut the fuck up after um, what, like Wilson Contreras just swung at a pitch hard and yeah. Bumgarner started yelling at him. Yeah, like what the <laughs> fuck is that? No, Madison Bumgarner has got to be like the biggest pussy in baseball. He always is doing shit like this, and I just loved how Wilson Contreras absolutely pimps the fuck out of that wall. That yeah. was so funny. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and then manager Tony Lavulo was asked about, you know, the certainty of Madison Bumgarner's next start, and Lavulo put it out flat. He said, we got to talk it over. So, as somebody, I'm riding with the Diamondbacks this season. Get him the fuck out of there. There's got to be a prospect or somebody that's going to do better than three innings, seven runs. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I do like Madison Bumgarner as a pitcher. Maybe a little bit of a pussy, but as a pitcher, I've always really enjoyed watching him. Um, and it just kind of sucks because his career has taken such a huge dip, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, so kind of a bummer. But can I, can I actually bounce off of you to talk about another pitcher? Yeah. Derek Cole on Sunday, it was uh, last Sunday, I think, against the Twins, went uh, – he, he pitched the complete game. Only two hits, and a sh- and he also uh, had a shutout that game. It was awesome. And 10 strikeouts, only one walk. Yeah, absolutely complete, amazing. Complete game shutouts are very hard to come by in this day's game. Yeah, and it just, it's awesome to see Garrett Cole, you know, finally, you know, looking like he's worth the pinstripes that he wears. So I, I love watching Garrett Cole this season. He's been phenomenal. Just hope he can keep it up. Yeah. Uh, we saw some vintage Chris Sale against the Twins. Six innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, 11 strikeouts, two walks. This is what we wanted to see from Chris Sale the whole time he's been in Boston. Too bad he's been injured, bad, you know, everything under the sun has gone wrong for Chris Sale in Boston, but he gets it done here. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I don't really like to see Chris well or Chris Sale do that well on the Red Sox. Uh, I, I like the Chris Sale, you know, Tearing up minor league uh, TVs in the dugout. I love that video, but it, it is good to see him, you know, come back from injury the way that he did. Um, yeah, but Chris Sale, he pitched really good that game. Yeah, and Lucas Giolito had a great outing for the White Sox. Six innings, uh, no hits, one walk, seven strikeouts. Uh, they pulled him. I guess he just couldn't couldn't really keep going, and then the bullpen loses the no hitter. Damn, damn bullpen. It's tough. All right. What are a couple of the games you really liked this weekend, Luke? Um, Shit, dude. Yesterday, Aaron Judge. And, and, well, I mean, just the Yankees in general, I feel like, had a good game yesterday. But Aaron Judge, man, robbing Otani, had a diving catch in the outfield earlier or later on from the Otani uh, home run rob. Um, I think he had three at-bats, one home run, two RBI, and the other two at-bats were walks. I mean – just Aaron Judge seems to be in midseason form, and the Yankees won it with a sacrifice fly, uh, fly walk off last nice. night. So that was fun to watch. Hey, shout out Hunter that. Renfro. You got to stop running on the guy when he's in the right and when he's in right field. You got to stop. And Oswaldo Peraza was the recent victim. Yes. Yep. <laughs> All right, I do want to talk about the Pirates because they're surprising the shit out of me. They're twelve and seven right now. Their rotation has recorded eight quality starts. Last season, they only had 38 all season. As a team, they've got the third best slugging percentage, and their pitching staff is doing a great job of pitching out of pinches. 
They're second best in runners left on base by their pitching staff. Damn. Okay. So shout out the Pirates. They're they're doing their thing right now. Yeah, they had a uh, on Monday a fourteen to three win over the Rockies. Had sixteen hits in that game, and they are dang they're ten and seven this year too. Good for the Pirates. Twelve and seven. Oh, I didn't realize that they were okay. Yeah, twelve and seven, even better. Yeah. Um, Rodolfo Castro had probably the most unlucky outcome I've ever seen. Um, I was scrolling Twitter, follow Would It Dong on Twitter, one of my favorite Twitter accounts, and. He flew out to center field, exit velo on this hit, 107.3, launch angle 33 degrees. The projected distance was 459 feet, but the wind that day in Coors Field completely stopped it. Flew out to center field, and it would have been a home run in all ballparks except Coors Field that day. Oh, man, that, that sounds like some show shit, man, where you can just absolutely <laughs> light up a baseball and just fly right out to center field. Of course, this time it was the win, but, like, that's a bummer for him. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, what's another game you like this week, Luke? Um, Instead of a game, I would actually just like to say a series. Um, the Braves kind of showed up the Padres, you know, kind of got revenge on them. And I, I liked watching it. Um, my roommate, who's a Braves fan, he had a couple of the games on. It was just a, it was a fun series to watch. I think they lost yesterday. Yeah. Which was kind of a bummer. But, I mean, the Braves, you know, the, the Braves are definitely the best team in the MLB, I think, this year. Yeah, I, I'd like to say so. The Rays are still looking good. They've kind of bounced back after that tough weekend. Uh, I will say, just to ride off the back, you saying the Padres, Tatis is making his return I don't know if he'll be in the starting lineup today. It hasn't been released yet, but they start off their four-game series with the Diamondbacks. This is definitely a series to watch this weekend. Um, Padres, Diamondbacks. Padres right now, they're 9-11. and 11. Diamondbacks, 11-8 and eight here. I really think that this is an opportunity for the Diamondbacks to really show everybody what's up because they've been playing fantastic baseball. And especially if they take Madison Bumgarner out of the rotation, uh, I'm liking their chances. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, kind of another thing of, you know, you're playing um, a super team in your division that's not doing that well. You know, put your freaking cleat on the throat, man. Stop them out. I mean, this is your chance to kind of prove that, you know, despite you haven't spent all this money like the Padres have, you can still be a good team, you know, through the youth system and, I don't know. I think it's really cool when stuff like that happens. So shout out to the Diamondbacks. Hope they play well against the Padres. Yeah. Um, it appears that the Oakland Athletics are just about all but gone. And uh, they've gotten the ball rolling on their move to Las Vegas. So the Oakland mayor said in a statement that the city of Oakland and the, uh, the Oakland Athletics are seizing negotiations. Uh, the Athletics signed a binding purchase on land just west of the Strip in Vegas and the city of Vegas is officially on board. This could be done within the next couple of years. Damn. I, I don't know. What, what do you feel? How do, how do you feel about this move? I'm totally fine with it because Oakland fans, the very few that there are, will never show up to fucking games. They tried to, like, I believe they tried to, like, go on strike essentially, and, like, not show up to the game. So they yeah. trying to get 
the city of Oakland to get them a new stadium, which in turn, in like a day's time, have essentially moved them out of their city, and now they've lost them forever. <laughs> well, damn. I mean, hey, at least you know it's it's in California. I mean, you can you could still technically go see them play. Yeah, it's not too far. Vegas isn't yeah. that far, but Oakland is a bit of a drive. Yeah, but I, I think Vegas Vegas will be a cool city for baseball, I think. So maybe, maybe yeah. you can get the whole organization turned around because they're 3-16 and 16 right now. So. Yeah, no shit. I was talking about it on Wednesday with Colin. They are 30th in just about every pitching statistic. <laughs> um, not how you win baseball games there. Certainly not. Uh, Jeffrey Springs of the Rays, who has been killing it up to this point, looks like he's getting Tommy John surgery, so he's going to be out for the season. That is a crushing blow to this Rays rotation because Jeffrey Springs has been absolutely on fire in the rotation. He's got one of the lowest ERAs uh, in the American League. He's just absolutely lighting it up, and it just sucks to see, but uh, I'm, I'm happy he's doing it now because... If you let it get any worse, then you might, you know, lose your career. Yeah, I, I hate when pitchers go down with this injury, man, because it's just always like, I, I don't know. I feel like it. it there's just so much 50-50 um, for the rest of their career whenever they have Tommy John surgery. But hopefully he can bounce back. But I, I'm sure it's a big bummer for him because he's been, a you know, like you said, a pretty big part of how the Rays have played this season. And his stats are amazing. So, yeah, big bummer here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other games that you've liked? Any performances from this week? Um, the Braves brought up um, Grissom, didn't they? Yes, and he's actually and been I playing he, really well. I was about to say, uh, I was watching him against the Padres. I don't know if he got a hit in the particular at-bat that I was watching, but his stats looked pretty damn good. I'm going to have to look him up real fast unless you know him off the top of your I head. I don't have him off the top of my head, but he is killing it, and that kind of segues me to talk about Astros Braves this weekend. Three game series starts on Friday. Um, they've got the featured game on Apple TV on Friday. Um, and then I'd assume they're probably on Sunday night baseball. No? Okay. Whatever. But well, I can't say that real quick, from the 14th to yesterday, he was actually on a hitting streak um throughout all of his games. It, and yesterday it got ended against the Padres. Yeah, me and Colin talked about it on Wednesday that the Braves have uh, a very good problem going on right now where a bunch of guys are just playing real well and a bunch of guys are going to be coming back from injury because Michael Harris is still going to come back. Orlando Arcia is going to come back. Like The pitching rotation starting to come back in, in place. Kyle Wright's back. Max Freed's back. And we're quickly getting healthy again. And Rizel Iglesias is expected to come back pretty soon. And Sam Hilliard is on fire. Um, Kevin Pillar is playing very well. Marcelo Zuna is the weak link right now. And with <laughs> Michael Harris coming back, there is not very many reasons for Marcelo Zuna to even be in this lineup at all. I, I feel like the Braves could have traded him uh, early on because Marcelo Zuna actually had a couple of good seasons with the Braves, in my opinion. And that would have been whenever he would have had – yeah. He, he would have had a lot of, you know, trade value with him there. Um, but he can't stay out of trouble and also doesn't really look that good on the baseball field. Yeah, the, it's like a one-two combo, no pun intended, because I know he likes to <laughs> likes to swing them. But um, 
of trouble off the field and a giant fucking contract that nobody wants to pick up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, 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 he... but, but, but officer, but officer, officer, <laughs> I'm in Atlanta. I almost went up on the brace. <laughs> yeah. Fucking uh, ridiculous. I hate him so much. Yeah, but uh, back to what we were talking about, though. The the Braves' depth is just I I am just it, it's disgusting, Grayson. And this is, is why I say that the Braves are the best team in the MLB. Is it doesn't matter, you know, pitcher, infielder, outfielder. The the depth is one hundred percent there. And I I don't think that you know even though the Braves have a much better record and look like a better team, no team in the MLB except for the Braves could do what they're doing right now. I mean, the next man up mentality there is amazing. But you're right. I, I can definitely see how it'd be a problem. Kind of like Chelsea, you know, loading their team uh, with a lot of, you know, injuries and also new players. So I, I kind of understand the issue there. But, I mean, it's a good problem to have, like you said. Yeah. Uh, one more uh, series I want to highlight this weekend, Blue Jays-Yankees. Uh, I think this one's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, the kind of the two teams that have always battled it out, or not really always, but the you know past couple of years, and the Blue Jays have had a really good bounce back to their kind of uh, shaky start. So I- I'm going to be looking forward to it too. Yeah. All right. One last thing uh, I want to talk about the MLB trying out some rules down in the Atlantic League. Uh, this is where they just about always start uh, testing rules. So this season they're doing a designated pinch runner. So each team will have a player listed as a designated pinch runner. That runner can be substituted in at any point as a base runner. And the player who is subbed out as well as the pinch runner can return to the game at another point without any penalty. Okay. So let's just say theoretically your catcher gets on base. He's not very fast. You want him to get ready for the next inning. You can put that guy out there to run for him, and then he can stay in the game. I like that because there's a lot of good, I feel like, players that are only good at base running, and it would give them more of an opportunity to, you know, instead of being, I guess, kind of situational and, like, you know, kind of like a ninth inning, like we need to score because we're down, you might be able to see them a lot more. So I think that would be kind of fun. Yeah, I I think that would be really fun. Uh, They are trying out uh, the pitchers only getting one disengagement from the at-bat rather than the two that the MLB is doing now. So what this looks like in my mind is they're making stolen bases even easier than they already are this season. They're making it ridiculously hard for the pitchers because like, there's so many reasons why a guy could step off. If him and his catcher aren't agreeing on what pitch to throw, if like they're in a tough count and they want to ice the batter, if they want to pick off, like, there's so many reasons why a pitcher needs to step off or needs to, you know, pick off whatever that may be. You can't take it down to one. Yeah, I um I don't really like that one either. Especially, you know, I feel like the pitch clock alone has made the game so much faster. I don't really see any more changes that would have to be made to make the game even faster than it already is now. Yeah, like um I can't remember who it was, but they played a doubleheader the other day. And both games in total were just over four hours combined. One of the games being like an hour 50. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, I mean, the the pitch clock is working. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't understand the, uh, the, rule, the other rule there. Yeah, it, it doesn't make much sense to me either. 
Uh, and then the last rule they're trying is what's called the double hook designated hitter. So teams will be allowed to use a DH throughout the game so long as their starter completes at least five innings. If the starter fails to do so, the active pitcher will be placed in the DH's spot in the lineup. I don't like this one. I don't either. I hate it. Because there is premier players throughout the league that play the DH spot, and you shouldn't get penalized for that just because your pitcher's not playing well. Because what's happening is your pitcher's already not playing well. If you're taking him out before the fifth or you know in the fifth, he's probably not doing well. He's probably giving up some runs. So now you're taking away the opportunity for the offense to get going by taking out the DH. Yeah. Um, and like you said, there have been players throughout history that have been amazing DHs. Um, personally, I hope Giancarlo Stanton never sees the field again. Uh, I only want to see him with a bat in his hand. Um, I, I don't know. This this kind of third rule just seems to me like they're trying to offset with how much they're doing offensively to add kind of like a defensive rule. But I don't see any pitcher like really like I, it'll just be a total dud in the lineup. And, and like you said, especially if they're having a bad game, the last thing they want to do is, you know, having that bat. <laughs> Yeah, well, and what would happen is, you know, it, since the guy gets pulled, the relief pitcher would technically have to assume that spot in the lineup, and it's just whoever's in the game right then. So then you start having to maybe pull a relief pitcher out if that position comes up in the lineup in a big spot because you got to pinch it for him, and then that pitcher's out of the game. Like, there's so many things that could happen here that I just absolutely hate that rule. Yeah, it just sounds like you're – instead of, you know, taking away offense, you're kind of just complicating the game. And yeah. another thing is so your DH guys sometimes will be your 4-5 hitters. Do you want, you know, your relief pitcher to be a 4-5 hitter? Probably not. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I, I don't know about that rule. Yeah, I think it's crazy. But anything else for that MLB recap, Luke? No, I think I'm ready. All righty. I'm going to get into my team of the week. We'll start it off in the outfield Let's go Brandon Nimmo of the Mets to get it started. A solid week for the guy. Batting 500 over the week and on base of 567. Good for an OPS of 1298. Solid stuff. He's also got a homer, five RBIs. He's walked three times this week. Um, three doubles as well. But the main thing here for me, 13 hits and six runs. That is just a huge contribution to the Mets with Brandon Nimmo. Yeah, yesterday he had a uh, five-hit game against the Dodgers and a home run and two RBIs. So, yeah, he's been playing great baseball. And then I've also got Cedric Mullins of the Baltimore Orioles. He's killing it as well. Batting 381, but an on-base percentage of 552. His OPS at just over 1,000 at 1 or 1076. He's got six RBIs this week. He's walked eight times. On top of that, four stolen bases, a double and a triple this week as well. Yeah, his triple came on Sunday against the White Sox in a 8-4 to win where he accounted for four of the team's RBIs. He also got on base with a walk, too. So, yep. And then rounding out the outfield, surprisingly, in Oakland Athletic, in Brent Rooker. Guy that, I'm going to be honest, never heard of him before I did some research for this team of the week, but... This week, in six games, batting 350, a 417 on-base percentage, an OPS of 1267. He hit three home runs for seven RBIs this week. 
He only struck out five times, which is not bad. Hit one sack fly, had a double, seven hits, 20 at-bats. I love it. Oakland needs something. Yeah, this guy looks to be like their entire offense right now. I've never heard of this guy either, but his, his his stats are there. Yeah, wow. he, he looked real good this week. And yeah, let's go ahead and move into the infield at first base. I've got Anthony Rizzo. He had a fantastic week. Can't do anything about it. Batted 364, on base at 440, slugging percentage at 818. That is real fucking good. And an OPS of 1258. Solid week for the kid. Three homers, three RBIs. I'd like to see a little more run creation outside of solo shots, but I'll take it from him. And, you know, eight hits, scored three runs, obviously on the three home runs. So I would have liked to see a little bit more run creation outside of just the home run. But I'll take it for Anthony Rizzo. He makes it in this week. Yeah, that um, that last Thursday game, actually a week ago, the Yankees played the Twins. Lost 11-2, to two, but uh, Anthony Rizzo was the entire offense. He had two, ho- two single home runs that game. So, yeah, shout out Rizzo. Um, Actually, really interesting about Rizzo that we can talk about is it seems like with the Yankees, he has completely like revived his hitting career. I think um, last season he hit a career high in home runs at the age of like what, like 33, 34, 32, something yeah, like that. So, somewhere Rizzo in there. seems to have kind of like refound himself in the batting um, department with the New York Yankees. It's been really fun to watch. Yeah. And then at second base, I've got Marcus Simeon of the Texas Rangers. Batted 478 this week, a slugging of 913, an OPS of 1484. Solid week for him. Three home runs, 11 RBIs. That's more like it. And on top of the 11 RBIs, 10 runs himself. That's huge. 11 hits, 23 at bats, hit a double as well. Only struck out once this week. Yeah, this um, this Rangers team looks really serious, Grayson, and he's been a big reason for it. Oh, yeah. At shortstop, who else? Francisco Lindor. And honestly, the shortstops this week did not show up. I'll be honest. Francisco Lindor really didn't have that good of a week. But personally, I think he had the best week of the shortstops. Two home runs, nine RBIs. Um, OPS just under 1,000, which typically wouldn't make the team of the week. But like I said, the shortstop position was weak. Um, Only struck out three times. Picked up a stolen base. Scored six runs. Just the best appearances from a shortstop this week. Dude, just wait until Volpe is your shortstop of the week every single week. He was real close. He was like the second in the running between him and Lindor, but I took the RBIs. Yeah, I, I heard um I heard Michael Kay talking about Volpe, and he was just saying that like he thinks he's getting better every game. And I I honestly kind of see it. it. It's very minute, you know, and he's moving very like uh incremental, I guess, as far as like getting better. But I mean he's definitely getting better. But um yeah, Francisco Lindor um definitely kind of had like more of the mid stats on this list, uh just kind of like, you know, off what you said. But I mean still probably the best out there in the week. Yeah. At third base, I had to put in Patrick Wisdom. The guy's been lighting it up. Um, I know as of a couple of days ago, six home runs in eight days. That was crazy. But in just this last week, he's got a double, a triple, five home runs, nine RBIs. Though he has struck out eight times, still got a slugging percentage of 1,000. OPS at 1,357. Just a fantastic week from a guy that, you know, he kind of burst onto the scene last year and the season before a little bit, but 
haven't really expected too much out of Patrick Wisdom, but the bat was on fire this week. Wow. Yeah, this guy's actually um, tied for first in home runs, too, on the league. Yeah, and just about all of them coming in the past, I don't know, 10 days. Yeah, that's impressive. He had um, he had two home runs alone on Monday against the Athletics. Imagine that. Hey, if you're a good player playing against the Athletics and want to make the All-Star game, this is where you stat pack. Yeah. All right, behind the plate, we got a guy who's no stranger to Team of the Weeks, Wilson Contreras of the St. Louis Cardinals. Big number here on base percentage of 500 for a catcher, a power hitter, and Wilson Contreras. Two home runs, seven RBIs this week, walks five times, uh, OPS at 1326, uh, nine hits, four doubles, which is huge for a catcher. Uh, a fantastic week for Wilson Contreras. What can I say? Yeah, I, I um. I love the hitcher, uh, the catchers that can hit, man. I almost said hitchers, but yeah, this guy, uh, this guy can rake. Oh yeah, and our DH spot. That one's going to go to Harold Ramirez of the Tampa Bay Rays. He's had a fantastic week, really just a fantastic season overall. Batted 476 this week, a 500 on base percentage, an OPS just over a thousand at 1071, but. Three RBIs, he walked once, only struck out once this week, 10 hits, 21 at-bats, solid week for Harold Ramirez. Yeah, he's been looking really good, especially um, they've been, I think they've had a lot of uh, AL East games this past week, and he's looked good in all of them, so yeah, shout out to him. All right, let's get into the pitching staff. I had to do it, Garrett Cole, starting pitcher. You're going to get a complete game shutout, 10 strikeouts, I'm not going to pass you up. Yeah, he uh, like I said earlier, man. It's, he's he's living up to that contract, that that infamous Yankees contract that you always talk about, Grayson. Yeah, look, I, I can't can't. I have zero complaints. Only gave up three base runners in this one. One walk, two hits. You can't ask for more out of a starting pitcher. Not at all. I just hope he can keep it up. Yeah, I I think he can. He's looking real good. But last guy here, my reliever of the week, Paul Seawald of the Seattle Mariners. Three games, he's got two saves, but the big thing here, three innings pitched, seven strikeouts, and he's only faced nine batters. Wow. No hits, no walks. Dang. I like it. Yeah, fantastic. And the two people that made contact, both ground outs. So, yeah, no one can really seem to get any sort of contact on this guy. No, not at all. So that rounds out the team of the week. Luke, you ready to talk these mock drafts? Let's do it. I'm excited about this part, man. So am I. Got so much interesting stuff here. It's going to be an interesting one. But, Luke, let's go ahead and get it started. Pick 1-1. One, one. The Carolina Panthers traded up from number 9 with the Bears. Who are they taking at one, Luke? God, they better take C.J. Stroud, quarterback out of Ohio State. Um, we, I mean, we've talked about this countless times on the podcast. In my opinion, C.J. Stroud is clearly your, you know, the best quarterback in this draft. Bryce Young may have seen, you know, the best competition, but C.J. Stroud, man, there, there's been only really one quarterback that's looked good against that Georgia defense, and I, I'll go ahead and say it: C.J. Stroud beat the Bulldogs. It, it only came down to that, you know crazy field goal or uh, extra point. I can't even remember what it was at the end of the game. Um, but yeah, CJ Stroud, in my opinion, is definitely who the Panthers got to go with. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. 
But I stared at my computer screen for about an hour the other day writing this mock draft, and I just got, I got swayed by the news. I had to go with Bryce Young. Wow. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, so, I'm honestly, I've surprised myself with this pick. I, I mean, with, with how this draft is going, man, it, it, it just might happen. I, I'm not, I'm not even sure that the Panthers are going to take CJ Stroud, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like I mean, it, 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 anyway. the news really makes it seem like the Panthers are going for Bryce because the same day that he meets with the Panthers, he cancels the rest of his pre-draft visits. Like it, it seems like that would be the case, but you know he's already met with the Texans. There's scenarios where they could have been like, if you're on the board, we're taking you. And the Panthers could have been like, I think we're gonna go another route. And then he was like, All right, I'm going to the Texans. Like, there's no telling what's gonna happen here. But uh, you know, I'm gonna go for the likely scenario here for Bryce Young. I'm taking him number one. Well, I mean. Do you think he could have canceled the rest of his visits because he maybe thought that the Panthers were all in for CJ Stroud? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I said. Where they're you know they're going to okay. go a different yeah. route, and he had already met with the Texans. Texans probably told him, you know, we'll take you if you're there. So there there is definitely a possibility that that's the case. I just I don't know if I can convince myself that that's it. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I see what you're saying. Um, all right, man. Number two. Houston Texans also need a quarterback. Of course, I went with Bryce Young. Of course, like, really, I guess th- this is probably flip-flop for us um, of who we took here. Yes. Honestly, I can't really see. I, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be right and who's going to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's just been so up in the air, man. It is. And, like, there's so many, like, weird reports with this pick alone because some people have been saying that, they wouldn't be surprised if the Texans don't go with a quarterback and they go, you know, with Will Anderson. Like there is no telling what is going to happen with this pick, but I think it's got to be one of the top two quarterbacks. Oh, dude, if if Will Anderson gets drafted by the Texans, number two, my entire mock draft is busted. Yeah, same. <laughs> like, <the> <laughs> everything, everything will be fucked from there. But so obviously, I'm taking CJ Stroud. I don't think I said that, but. Let's yeah. go to number three. Who do you got at three? Um, this is where I have Will Anderson. Um, hopefully he doesn't get drafted by the Texans, but I just feel like this is a position that the Cardinals need to address. Might as well go with probably the best edge in the draft. Yep, same boat. Will Anderson is just a ridiculous prospect when you look at the numbers. Like His combine uh, production score, a 99. Obviously, that's first. Ranked first in total score at the combine for edges. He's got speed at 4.640. His NFL comparison by Lance Zerline, Demarcus Ware. Couldn't think of a better one. Oh wow! Yeah, that's um, you're you're a pretty damn good um prospect if you're getting compared to you know Demarcus Ware as an edge. So, um, yeah. So number four, the Colts. Um, God, Grayson, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this doesn't happen. But. I think the Colts are going to take Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Um, if this happens, there will be no Anthony Richardson in the NFL for like you know a, a very long career. I, I think that the Colts are going to make a mistake here um, and drafting him because we both said that we both feel like Anthony Richardson is someone who needs to sit behind somebody to learn. 
he has the body. I mean, he's a freak athlete. He's got a freak body. But um, at number four, I think the Colts are going to take him, and it's going to go very poorly for them. All right. Well, I've got another pick that I think is going to be pretty poor for them. I've got them taking Will Levis. I, I think that he fits the mold for Indy. They need a guy who they think is ready to start. I, you know, I'm not too convinced, but, you know, there's people that really rank him very highly. There's people that don't even rank him in the first round. Same for Anthony Richardson. So I'm going Will Levis here for the Colts because I think he fits exactly what they're looking for right now. Yeah, um, and I definitely agree with that, but I think the Colts are going to want to take more of the blockbuster candidate here, um, and that would be Anthony Richardson, but I, I definitely understand Will Levis. Uh, at number five, we have the Seahawks. I am going to actually go with the edge, um, Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. I hope that this number five pick ends up being Anthony Richardson for the Seahawks somehow. I just don't think it will. Okay, well, I do have Anthony Richardson here at five for the Seahawks. Okay. I think yeah. it's a fantastic pick. We've talked about it for a couple of weeks now that if he sat behind Geno Smith for just you know a year or two, I think he would learn so much just from Geno, from that coaching staff, obviously just an athlete and a, a pretty good skill set. He just has to work on a couple intricacies of his game and it all gets better. Got to work on his footwork and his rhythm in the pocket. That's just, you know, it's simply something that you just have to put work and you have to put time into. And if he's willing to do it, if he has time to do it, that's the biggest thing. If the if somebody takes him and thinks that he's a first-day starter, they are dead wrong. But he surely is, I'd say, the third-best potential of the quarterbacks in this draft. Yeah, I mean, shit. You, you have an organization that's already said, you know, your, your quarterback has already said that I would be more than happy to teach a young guy coming in. Um, you got Pete Carroll there who can definitely help Anthony Richardson work on his leadership skills because I know that was in question too. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I, I had Tyree Wilson again. Um, I hope it's not – I hope it's not him. I hope you're right with that one, but um, – at number six, the Detroit Lions. So they just traded Jeff Okuda to the Falcons. Um, of course, you don't know how you feel about that, Grayson. Personally, I think it's a good trade for the Falcons. But I have the Lions here going for a cornerback very early on again, kind of like they did with Jeff Okuda. I think the Detroit Lions are going to take Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon here. Um, Christian Gonzalez, he may not, you know, kind of have the same competition like the Joey Porter Juniors and the um oh my god there's that corner out of Tennessee Witherspoon that also looks pretty good. Yeah. Um who's He's obviously out of Illinois. better competition. Devin Illinois, Witherspoon. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um but I, I feel like Christian Gonzalez with his combine that was absolutely ridiculous. I feel like the Lions are probably going to take him pretty high. All right. Yeah. For me I've got the Lions taking Jalen Carter. I think that they're lucky that he's going to fall into their hands at six. And uh, that's the the likely spot in my mind. I know, you know, all of the shit outside of the field, whatever. The kid's a freak. Just an absolute freak. Uh, the best production score from NFL Next Gen Stats for amongst defensive tackles. Athleticism score, the fourth best out of all defensive tackles. Best total score. And there is such um, a, a huge drop-off at defensive tackle after Jalen Carter in this draft. And... That's why I think it's so important that a team picks him up early because there's not much going on after him. I like it. I like it. So, at number seven, we have the uh, Vegas Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, 
I think, you know, with them going big on a quarterback uh, with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, of course, he's not a big-time quarterback, but that was a big, you know, pretty big-time uh, contract there. I think that they're going to go with offensive tackle Paris Johnson out of Ohio State. I feel like this pick just makes the most sense. Um, if Christian Gonzalez does not go to the Lions, though, I could see the Raiders taking him. But for my mock draft, I have Gonzalez going to the Lions, and then the Raiders will have to take Paris Johnson. Yep, I've got the Raiders taking Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon. Kid's a fantastic prospect. He's fast, he's strong, he's smart, got a huge vertical at 41 and a half inches, 11 foot, one inch broad jump, crazy stuff. Just an all around athlete. I-, I love what he brings to the table. He was fantastic at Oregon. You know, being in the Pac 12 and being an elite defensive player is very hard, but he certainly did it. And this kid is going to be a fantastic player. Yeah, I love Christian Gonzalez. Um, at number eight, I have your beloved Atlanta Falcons, Grayson. And this is the time. This is the time. I hear Falcons fans all the time complaining, why don't we take anybody that's homegrown out of Georgia, especially that, you know, Georgia's really stepped it up and, you know, they're one of the best teams in college football, if not the best team in college football right now. This is where they're going to take Jalen Carter. I think he will slip to eight. Um, because of, you know, all that off-the-field trouble. I feel like a lot of teams maybe won't, you know, want to risk that on him. Of course, it's not like what he did was necessarily awful, but, you know, it's still going to have him drop a little bit. And I think the Falcons, if he's there, the Falcons are going to take him at eight. Yeah, look, it's it would be a fantastic pick. I think that the edge is more of a problem for us than – the defensive tackle spot with the things or with the players that we picked up this offseason. I've got the Falcons taking Tyree Wilson. I'm hearing great things about him. I'm very happy with what I've seen. Um, you know, obviously he's coming off of an injury, which is tough, but huge, huge player, massive wingspan, super strong. Can if, if you put a tight end on him, you're gonna lose that fight unless it's like George Kittle. Because the kid is just crazy good. His NFL comparison from Lance Zerline, who I'm getting all of my comparisons from, Ezekiel Ansa, fantastic, fantastic person to be compared to. For sure. Um, at number nine, we have the Chicago Bears, and with this pick, I just think you know they're. It's all about uh, Justin Fields now. It's all about getting him help, getting him weapons, um, keeping him protected which is why they're going to take offensive tackle Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. I feel like offensive line is something that the Bears absolutely have to address if they want a run game, if they want to keep Justin Fields healthy, and also if they want to nurture Justin Fields' you know, throwing ability. We haven't really seen it from him yet, but I feel like more protection will offer him you know, a lot less pressure. That way he can actually really work on his, uh, arm, uh, you know, his accuracy and his arm strength you know, kind of mid-game there. So Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern is going to go to the Bears. All right, I've got... The Bears also going for some pass protection, but I've got them taking Paris Johnson. I think what they're looking for is an athletic guy with potential. Obviously, Peter Skaronsky is, you know, perfect build, super like consistent, but I think they like the idea of Paris Johnson a little bit more in my mind. I, you know, at least I do. I, I like the, the technique. Obviously, it needs to get better, but he's kind of still filling out. Like he can be stronger, which is crazy to say because you know he's already six six three thirteen, but he could get bigger and he could get stronger, and that provides them a lot of versatility with with his athleticism paired with that. I like it. 
Um, <clears throat> all right, Grayson, you're gonna you're gonna hate me for this one, but I feel like it honestly could happen. This is a this is a pretty bold prediction of mine. At number ten, the Philadelphia Eagles are gonna take running back Bijan Johnson out of Texas. Yes, Robinson. Yes, it is Bijan Robinson, not Johnson. Oh, oh Bijan Robinson. <laughs> I, I, I was I was looking at. Paris Johnson's name on my on my Google Doc, but uh, Dijon Robinson out of Texas. Yes, it is high. You know, number ten pick in the draft to invest in a running back, but man, Bijan Robinson on the Eagles with how good they already are, with how good that offensive line is, with how good their pass game is, that'll be super scary. And personally, you know, Rashad Penny, we talked about it before. He's like one of the most like efficient backs in the league. He has, he averages like 5.9 yards per carry or something ridiculous like that. I don't think he's going to be your running back one. And in a league full of, a, you know, teams just kind of loading at the running back position, you know, kind of using two now, I feel like Bijan Robinson would be an awesome pick for the Eagles. All right, so this, I've got a trade at number 10. I've got the Patriots trading up with the Eagles to number 10. And the Patriots are going to take Zay Flowers out of Boston College. So the wow. Patriots supposedly paid some good money to uh, Zay Flowers' agent so that he would play in a particular um, game instead of like one of like the All-American games. So that's a very interesting thing to see. The Patriots are obviously bought in on Zay Flowers. And I personally, I see him as the best wide receiver in this class. He has just absolutely skyrocketed up boards throughout the offseason. We've talked about how physical he is, how he's added the strength. He is such a, a valuable playmaker in the receiving game and fantastic footwork. The hands are okay, but the ball skills are just fantastic and super hard to catch once he's got the ball in his hands. Dang, a trade there. See, I, I don't know if I don't know if the Patriots would have to trade up to get him. I don't know. I mean, the, the next the two Titans, teams after the Eagles make it pretty hard to get whatever wide receiver you want. That is true. I, I just um well I we'll just go through it. I personally I don't think those two teams are gonna take um wide receivers, but at number eleven we have the Tennessee Titans. I have quarterback Will Levis going to the Titans. Um man, their quarterbacks suck. Uh, they drafted Malik Willis uh, in the second round last year, and we, you know, got to see plenty of Malik Willis, but he just was hot garbage really every time. Very sad to watch. Um, and I think the quarter, uh, the Titans are going to take a quarterback that's kind of completely opposite. You know, Malik uh, Willis was kind of your strong arm, you know, mobile quarterback. Will Levis is, you know, your, um, and I'm doing the air quotes here, Grayson, your NFL, like you know, your NFL blueprint quarterback. So. I think the Titans are going to take Will Levis out of Kentucky here. All right. I've got the Titans taking Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, I, I don't even think he's the the second best wide receiver, personally. I just think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is a reliable pass catcher, and that's what the Titans need, especially with the shaky quarterback play that you brought up. They need a guy that can just catch the ball, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is probably the best. Fantastic, just a possession slot receiver. He absolutely kills it in zone coverage. He'll play right up in your face. Doesn't matter. And he can elevate like amongst the best. Very athletic, very smooth catching on the run. And that's a big part of 
this offense because they're not going to play deep balls. That's it's just not how the Titans' offense is going to run. So when you pair this kind of like a RPO style with him, where he's in the slot, you've got Derrick Henry as an option behind you. It makes the quarterback's life a little bit easier when you've got options like that. I like it. I like it. Um, number 12, the Houston Texans have that trade from Cleveland. Um, I think this is going to go to the edge, Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. Um, he's been really, really good. I've liked what I've seen from him last season at Iowa. Um, and I just feel like the Texans, you know, they went quarterback with their first, uh, their second pick in Bryce Young uh, as far as my mod draft goes. And I think they're going to go on the other side of the ball this time. All right. In my opinion, I think they're going all offense right here. They made some big defensive pickups in free agency, and they did add to the offense, but they still need to fill the hole of Brandon Cooks. And what better way to get some yards than Quentin Johnston? Super physical, giant wide receiver, 6'3", 208, like a huge guy. He's got the vert, 40 and a half inches. He is just a athletic god. And there's you know, a chance that he is probably the best wide receiver in this class, but I feel like his production wasn't consistent enough in college and wasn't really a huge touchdown target for Max Duggan last season. But I just think that the intangibles with Quentin Johnston are what makes him so good, and I think it's going to be hard for the Texans to pass that up, especially with wide receiver being a big need of theirs. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um... The New York Jets at number 13, damn, they're going to be so good next year, Grayson. But uh, I feel like, you know, with Rodgers heading there, maybe, who fucking knows at this point, I'm just kind of assuming that he is. Uh, I think that they're going to take uh, Broder uh, Broderick Jones out of Georgia, the offensive tackle. Um, you know, offer more protection for Rodgers and all of those weapons that you're going to have um, offensively next season. And I feel like an offensive tackle just makes sense here. I like that pick. I also am going offensive tackle. I'm pay, I'm taking Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. The fact that he's dropped this far is kind of surprising to me. Uh, you know, when I was writing this up, I was like, oh shit, like he's still available because th the guy is exactly what you want. NFL comparison, Zach Martin. Like that is the kind of guy you want, especially in front of Aaron Rodgers. I want to interrupt us real quick though. Breaking news: Madison Bumgarner has been designated for assignment by the Diamondbacks. Um, so once he clears waivers, uh, he will be available to every team at a major league minimum of 720. Uh, and yeah, the, the Diamondbacks are just going to eat up his 34 million remaining on his contract. Wow, that's a lot of damn money. Yeah, I don't blame him. He's definitely not playing like 34 million. That is true. Um, <laughs> that's pretty funny though. You were literally just talking about that. I, I hate how you can do this shit, Grayson. Where's your fucking time machine? <laughs> God. All right. Oh, Lord. Let's move on. Number 14. So, uh, man, you're kind of having me you're you're having me second guess my own mock draft. I I think this draft is really interesting to me because it's a very cornerback heavy draft and I feel like we haven't really seen many of those lately. I mean, of course, last year we had Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley, but that was really it. Um we have a lot of guys in this draft. I actually have the Patriots going cornerback here. I don't know if I really even agree with this in my opinion, but I think it'll be Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois. I, I personally like Jackson Smith and Jigba or, you know, Zay Flower, any of the guys, uh, any of those wide receivers, because I feel like, you know, the Patriots maybe need to address that more, especially after losing Jacoby Myers. But 
Devin Witherspoon, you know, nonetheless would still be a great pickup. You know, the Patriots lost JC Jackson. They had, um, oh my God, what's the, what's the cornerback on the Patriots name? Who's really stepped it up. His last name is Jones, I think. Yeah. You've got me, you got me. I'm absolutely blanking right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, they lost <laughs> JC Jackson and uh, whoever the guy I'm talking about, they, they had a cornerback step up this year. Um, and I just feel like the Patriots have always kind of done better with that cornerback uh, one and or one and two punch there, you know, like with Stephon Gilmore and JC Jackson. I think the Patriots might go cornerback again with Devon Weatherspoon. All right. So this is where I have the Eagles picking. Uh, I have them taking defensive end Lucas Van Ness uh, out of Iowa. I really like the idea of them going defensive end just to kind of build up depth. I know that it, you'd probably rather them go with something in the middle because they'd need to replace the hole that Javon Hargrave left, but they've still got the depth there. I think they just need to add depth at defensive end, and Lucas Van Ness kind of looks like the best option here for them. I like it. I like it. Um, at number 15, we have the Green Bay Packers, and I actually just recently, like literally a couple seconds ago, had to change uh, my pick here, so we might have to change that on the, um, the graphic, Grayson. But uh, okay. at number 15... The Green Bay Packers are going to take Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, I feel like, you know, getting Jordan Love is more important than anything – or getting Jordan Love weapons is more important than they could um, anything they could do defensively. Um, and it's always, you know, I feel like it's good to kind of draft a young wide receiver with a young quarterback. That way that they can kind of, like, you know, grow with each other. And uh, I see you're correcting my spelling right in front of my eyes, which yes. is pretty funny. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I feel like the Packers, you know, with Jackson Smith and Jigba would just be a would be a really good pick for Jordan Love to you know be a young quarterback and have that kind of talent to work with. Yeah, I love that pick right there. Um, for me, the Packers they need to address the edge, and I think there's a guy that stands out to them more than probably some of the other guys that could go ahead of him, and that's Nolan Smith. The Packers, for some reason, in the last couple of years, they love drafting Bulldogs. The, Eric Stokes. Um, I'm totally blanking on a couple of the other ones that they've picked. Um, oh, my God. Who am I thinking of? Uh, whatever. It's not a big deal because they're going to go with Nolan Smith here for the edge. They need to add some depth there. Nolan Smith, uh, just an athlete, just crazy, crazy athletic, ranked first amongst edge rushers at the combine. A 4-3-9-40 for an outside linebacker is just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm, I'm very happy with what I've seen from Nolan Smith. And the biggest thing for me is the leadership and the mindset. He plays with toughness. He's a team-first guy. And, you know, on the field, he's also just a dog. <laughs> literally um yes. i uh so you were thinking of quay walker and probably Devonte wyatt yes primarily quay walker yeah quay walker's been fantastic uh up next we have the commanders at number 16 um once again like i just said it's a cornerback heavy draft i think that they're going to go with deontay banks out of maryland I like that pick. I also went corner, but I went for Devin Witherspoon just mainly because he's still on the board. Kind of had to go, especially to a team that needs a corner. And I really like what he's done. He allowed um, a completion rate last year of only 34.9%. That's fantastic. Pretty good route recognition. Could definitely work on a couple of things. Um, he can get set off balance a little bit by fakes. 
So that kind of throws him off a little bit, but these are things you can work on. It's hard to read what's going to happen, especially against an NFL wide receiver. So it's just stuff that everybody's going to have to work on, and I think he could really do some great things with Washington, especially adding this, um, adding in just like a couple of new pieces to this coaching staff over the offseason, just adding new pieces to this team, some really good leadership on that defense as well. I think this is a good spot for him. I like it. We both went cornerback for the commander's interest. Um, At number 17, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are obviously going to take Joey Porter Jr., cornerback out of Penn State. Um, Just kind of with how the Steelers are with tradition and lineage, I feel like there's no other pick that the Steelers are going to want to make here if Joey Porter Jr. is still on the board. Um, Obviously, Joey Porter was a middle linebacker for the Steelers, um, won uh, a Super Bowl with the Steelers, and I feel like, you know, with him being Penn State too, it's just it's a perfect storm for the Pittsburgh Steelers and especially cornerback. You know, just lost uh, Cameron Sutton to the Lions in the free agency, um, and you know, just brought in a guy like Patrick Peterson, who I feel like can be a mentor to anybody that the Steelers decide to bring in. But I think it'll be Joey Porter Jr. I'm in the same boat, Luke. This is only the second time throughout this so far. 17 picks in that we've agreed on a pick. It was Will Anderson and now Joey Porter Jr. I love this idea. I, I totally agree with you. The lineage, you know, the legacy of his father. Now he gets to come in and do his thing for the Steelers. Uh, Patrick Peterson. That was a huge point. He's going to lead these guys. And I wouldn't really want any. There's not many cornerbacks in the league right now that I'd want teaching one of my young guys other than Patrick Peterson. Exactly. I. I that's funny that we've only agreed twice. Um, let's see. Um, Detroit Lions at number 18. I I like Darnell Washington tied in out of Georgia here. Um, Darnell Washington is a strange football player, man, and I feel like he fits the Lions offense very, very well. The Lions, to me, are kind of like a utility offense where it's a lot of short passes, play actions, run plays, and just like a lot of funky stuff going on over there. And I feel like Darnell Washington – is a funky player. I mean, six seven. I mean, he's absolutely massive. I don't actually remember what you know his build is exactly, but <clears throat> I feel like he can be a utility tight end as well. Um, he's huge, so he can block. Uh, he can come off of blocks and run decent routes. He can hurdle guys. Um, he's fast. He can catch pretty well. I, I like Darnell Washington a lot for the Lions. I think he's a good fit for the way that they play. And they also just traded away their best tight end, Hawkins, since the. Um, to the Vikings, so they kind of have a hold of Bill there. So I think it'll be Darnell Washington. All right, I've also got them going tight end. I've got them taking Dalton Kincaid out of Utah. I think that Darnell Washington's a fantastic pick, but what they're looking to do is replace TJ Hawkinson, and Dalton Kincaid is like a mirroring image image of TJ Hawkinson. Dalton Kincaid, 6'4", 246. TJ Hawkinson, 6'5", 248. They're both patch-catching first a fantastic pass catcher with Dalton Kincaid and, you know, an NFL comparison of Zach Ertz. If you want a pass catching tight end, that's a great comparison. Fantastic year last year. Uh, First team, all pack 12, 70 receptions, 890 yards and eight touchdowns. This is exactly what you want out of an offensive minded tight end. And I think that's exactly what the lions need. I like it. And the only reason I didn't go with Dalton Dalton Kincaid, who I, I will concede is a better tight end than um, Darnell Washington, in my opinion, if we're just talking about, you know, raw tight end ability. Um, but 
I, I feel like the Lions last year kind of proved that they didn't need Hawkinson to be the focal point of their offense. They have a Monroe now. So I feel like they're going to want to switch it up with tight end as far as, you know, like how their um, how their tight ends play. But Dalton Kincaid is going to be an absolute dog anywhere he goes. Um, at number 19, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this is one of my favorite picks because I would love it if this happened. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to take cornerback Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Um, I feel like it'll offer, um, you know, some great competition between uh, Baker Mayfield and Hendon Hooker. And I feel like the Buccaneers is definitely a place where we could see Hendon Hooker getting some reps next season. All right. I, I like that pick. Um, I, I'll go ahead and say it. I personally don't have Hendon getting picked in the first round. I think he's an early second kind of guy. But I will say my pick here I really like as well, and that's safety Brian Branch out of Alabama. Easily the best safety in this draft. Not the strongest guy, but it's the production. His production score from the combine, a 96 that is a fucking ridiculous number. Obviously the best. Um, some consider him a corner. Some consider him a safety. I think he's going to play safety, but just an absolutely ridiculous player. Last season, and starting in all 13 games, he was an All-American, uh, AP All-American. Uh, sorry, second team AP All-American. Um, 90 tackles, 14 tackles for loss, three sacks, two interceptions, seven pass breakups. His NFL comparison one that you're rather familiar with, Luke, Minka Fitzpatrick. Oh, wow. I, a, I just... Pretty good. I love it. I love what he's able to do. He's a big playmaker on the defense, and, and that's a huge asset. And I think the Buccaneers, honestly, they need to load up the defense because the offense is going to be an issue. No matter what, if they pick a quarterback, it's still going to be a problem. And if you've got Baker Mayfield as your quarterback, you definitely need a good defense. Yeah, for sure. Or or a rookie quarterback in Hinton Hooker, you're going to need the defense. But, yeah. you know, I, I see what you're saying there. Um, number 20, we have the Seahawks with their second pick in the first round, which I just think is absolutely unfair with how good they were last year with all those young guys. But here we are again. Pick number 20, I think the Seahawks are going to take Osiris Torrance out of Florida, the offensive lineman. Um, a guy who's confident, and I kind of feel like he fits uh, – he fits that uh, Seahawks mentality. I feel like they're a very confident kind of like, you know, almost kind of like chippy, nasty, you know, football team. And I, I like that about them is uh, that whole Legion of Boom thing that they had going on. Those were some fun guys to watch, you know, Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor. And I feel like Osiris is kind of like that guy, but the offensive version of those guys. So I like the Seahawks taking him here. Um, pretty sure he finished his college career without giving up a sack, which is absolutely ridiculous. And, I feel like the Seahawks, you know, kind of need to address their offense just a little bit after taking an edge uh, at pick number five or four. I can't remember what they have. So, um, yeah, I like Osiris Torrance going to the Seattle Seahawks. All right. I've got the Seattle Seahawks covering the edge position here as I went quarterback with their first one. I think they take Miles Murphy out of Clemson, a guy who really he was like a top 10 kind of guy for a little bit, kind of dropped a little bit. Um, didn't really work out at the combine. All he did was measure in and do bench. But I, I really like what Miles Murphy brings to the table. It's just I couldn't see him over a couple of the other edge rushers in this draft. So I think they get a fantastic pick right here at 20 to still get Miles Murphy. They need to address the edge. It's obvious. And he is an absolutely fantastic prospect. He obviously has some things to work on, but he's just, uh, he's always running on a full tank. 
and he's got the long arms, which really help him. Just the size in general is very NFL ready. I like it. Um, pick number 21, we have the Chargers. I'm going offensive tackle Darnell Wright out of Tennessee. Um, a guy who spent time both at left and right tackle, which I feel like is going to be kind of important for this Chargers team. Um, let's see. We got um, kind of iffy in the run game, but the Chargers, you know, probably aren't going to be running the ball much uh, next year without, you know, Austin Eckler. Um, I like his, you know, his strength and patience in the past game. I think Darnell, uh, Darnell Wright has showed a lot of that. Um, and I feel like the, the Chargers are probably going to go offensive line here. Um, you know, just give Herbert more protection. They have a lot of weapons at wide receiver. It, it would just be better for their entire pass game, I feel like. So that's why the Chargers are going to go attack Darnell Wright out of Tennessee. All right, so – you brought up the fact that they'll probably not have Austin Eckler, so I'm going to go ahead and address it right now. They're going to take Bijan Robinson. I can't believe that I had him drop this far, but there's not that many teams that I'm convinced need a running back, but you're getting an absolute steal no matter what with Bijan Robinson at 21. Just an absolute elite prospect. He's a year one starter kind of guy, a 99 production score. That's a combine running back rank of number one. Total score, 96. Huge athlete, second in athleticism score from the combine. Ran a 446, a, t- uh, a 152 10 yard split. He is so fast, so strong, super intelligent on the field. NFL comparison, Josh Jacobs. And at this moment in time, I wouldn't want any other comparison. He is just ridiculously good. He's got so much talent everywhere, especially as a third down back. And I think that's going to be huge in a rather passing oriented offense with the Chargers. A third down back that's super strong is going to be very helpful for this offense. I like it. Um, So this pick, I feel like is really interesting. Number 22, my arch nemesis, the Baltimore Ravens. I feel like, you know, we did watch them get Odell in the free agency, which we'll have to see how that plays out. But I feel like, you know, the Ravens' mindset, Grayson, it's all about Lamar right now. It's all about, you know, keeping him interested in Baltimore, keeping him happy in Baltimore. And that's why the Ravens are going to go Quentin Johnson out of TCU, wide receiver. I, I think they're just going to overkill this position. And uh, they, you know, it's a loaded wide receiver draft for them to do that. And I feel like drafting a wide receiver here, especially a guy like Quentin Johnson, definitely will keep Lamar happy. There's no way that Lamar wouldn't want to play in this offense with Odell and Quentin Johnson and how good their running game still is if they have Lamar. So I feel like, yeah, the Ravens are just going to try to overkill wide receiver in order to keep Lamar interested in them. That's why they're going to take Quentin Johnson out of TC. Yeah, I really like that pick, and I like what you said about this wide receiver class being overloaded. But I will say the wide receivers have been showing off in the NFL as they show up because – you know, the last three offensive rookie of the years have been wide receivers. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Garrett Wilson. This year could certainly be the same thing. But for me, I think the Ravens go corner. I think they need depth there. And they could use a guy that possibly could start as the season starts. And that's going to be Deontay Banks out of Maryland. His biggest thing here is the athleticism. 42-inch vertical, 11-4 broad jump, a 435-40. Him... Marlon Humphreys on the other side, ridiculous. Like, nobody's going for the deep ball on these guys. I like it. Um, yeah, that would be a dangerous pick for them. Um, Minnesota Vikings at 23. I think I, I saw a lot of mock drafts having them uh, take, like, Jordan Addison 
which was kind of weird to me. I don't know why you would want to go wide receiver, especially, you know, you just added Hawkinson as a tight end to that um, pass game. You got guys like KJ Osborne who have had ridiculous games before. And not to mention Justin Jefferson, the Jerry Rice of our generation. I keep saying that, but it's 100% true. So I don't know why the Vikings would want wide receiver. I think they're going to go on the other side of the ball and draft edge. Keon White out of Georgia Tech. Um, Yeah, I I like what I saw from Keon White. I think he's got good stats. He had an awesome combine, and he's going to be a great pick for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I like that take. I think they also go defensive line as well. I'm taking defensive tackle uh, Kalijah Cansey. I believe that's how you say it. Out of Pittsburgh, 6'1", 281. A a fantastic build. A little bit shorter than you'd possibly look for, but – the, the combine was out of control for him. Production score of 77, that's second amongst defensive tackles. Athleticism score of 98, that's first, of course, amongst defensive tackles. And he is clearly the second best behind Jalen Carter. But just the way that he plays on the field is so good. And what I love here is that they're comparing him to a Vikings legend, John Randall. Wow. That's big there. Um, number 24. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how I feel about this one. I just think this is more of the draft, not necessarily what the Jacksonville Jaguars will actually want. 24. Like I said, and I've said it a million times this podcast already, this is a cornerback loaded draft. And I, I love cornerbacks. And this is just so interesting to me. But I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to go with Cam Smith out of South Carolina. A um, couple issues with him off the bat. He's 6'1", 180, which is a little bit lean. It's kind of like the Sauce Gardner build, but I think Sauce Gardner's got a little bit more weight to him um, over aggressiveness and coverage. But, hey, he's got quick-ass feet. His coverage instincts and ball skills are you know, genuinely pretty good, in my opinion. And he is super competitive. He's very physical. And I feel like that's why the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to take him at uh, 24. All right. At 24, I've got them going defense or defensive again, but I've got them going to the edge. They're going to take Will McDonald out of Iowa State. Just explosive off the line, super flexible kind of guy. He's got burst, lower body flex, like stuff that we really like to see out of edge rushers. He's a fantastic pass rush talent, and he's pretty strong against the running backs as well. Could still use some work with the running backs, but his athleticism is just out of this world, and I think that that makes him such a huge asset for this Jacksonville Jaguars team. Okay, I I like that. Um, At number 25, I have New York Giants. Um, I I think they're going to take Zay Flowers here. Um, I have him slipping pretty far. Um, Personally, his off-the-season hype has been absolutely amazing, you know, what he's been able to do to his body, you know, adding weight to himself and just looking really, really good. I still think, you know, even Jordan Addison, I would say, is going to be a better pick than Zay Flowers. Um, I don't, I don't have Jordan Addison going in my first, um, in in the first round, but I just think Jordan Addison will end up being a better wide receiver than Zay Flowers, or at least offer more to offenses. But the New York Giants, you know, wide receiver is something that I feel like they kind of need to address. You know, Kenny Galladay was an absolute flop. Um, Darius Slayton, you know, he had that one good season, and we all thought it was up from here, but he also kind of flopped. You also have guys like Isaiah Hodges and um, was it Richie James? Is that his name yeah. on the Giants, the wide receiver? They, you know, both of them had good games last year, but they're not going to be your wide receiver ones. 
I just feel like Zay Flowers really fits the mold of the New York Giant, and I feel like that's where they're going to go at pick number 25. Also, uh, Richard James left. He went. To oh, he Chiefs. left? Yeah. Well, there you go. Even more of a reason to fill that hole. Yeah. So, I've Zay got Flowers him. is going to go I've got him filling the hole as well, but I've got him going with Jordan Addison here because they, they want immediate performance, and that's just what he does. He's athletic. He's got the speed. Really good burst uh, early in his routes. I love it. Really good footwork. He's also got experience in punt returning, so that could be as well just another reason to pick this guy up because he's going to have immediate success in the special teams side. Uh, the only problem for me is that the touchdown production's not there, but I think that they address that well because if they use their wide receivers to get them down the field, they have red zone weapons with, you know, Saquon, if they can figure out his problem. And then they've got Daniel Jones who can do it on the ground. They've picked up D Darren Waller who can be a force in the red zone. So I think that having, you know, a touchdown heavy wide receiver is not exactly what they need right now. Obviously, it'd be nice, but they don't have to go that way. And I think that that's why Jordan Addison fits this pretty well. I like that. Um, this one, I, I had to audible mid-recording as we're doing this right now. The Dallas Cowboys 26. Um, you had, um, <clears throat> oh my gosh, what was that guy? You you said that you had a defensive lineman going recently out of, was it Clemson? Yeah, I have Brian Brise. Brian Brise. Okay, that wasn't the guy I was thinking of. I can't remember who I had for the Cowboys here, but I originally had a defensive lineman that you already said. Um, he kind of had like a like a um, an out there first name. I don't want to be like rude, but like it wasn't um, like a normal first name. I'm trying to think, like a guy that I already said. Yes, you already had him getting drafted. He's a defensive lineman. Ooh, um, Kalijah Kansi. Yes, that is who – sorry, I just had to get that figured out before I went with this pick. That is who I originally had going to the Cowboys, but I I kind of like – I don't know. I, I still think that, you know, they're, they're kind of recovering from drafting Micah Parsons. And, and let me explain that for a second. Micah Parsons is not who the Cowboys wanted to draft. I, I think that they were all in for Patrick Sertan, who ended up – you know, the uh, Broncos, I think, traded past the Cowboys to jump in front to get him. Of course, the Cowboys ended up with Michael Parsons, and it worked out awesomely. But I still feel like the Cowboys need to kind of address that secondary, and they're going to do it with Brian Branch out of Alabama, who's been a phenomenal fucking player, and I feel like he would be great on the Dallas Cowboys. I like that pick. Uh, yeah, I've got them taking Brian Brzee, like I said. It's just the physicality of him. He He's just a, a giant. 6'5", 6'5 and a half, sorry, 298. He can get bigger as well. That's kind of the best part about him was um, the nation's top recruit coming out of high school. I remember following him when he was at Damascus High School in Maryland for his senior year. Um, kid was just an absolute beast, and he just continued to do it at Clemson. Dealt with some injuries. Like last season, he missed time due to a kidney infection. He also missed uh, a game to be with his family because of uh, the passing of his younger sister, uh, she passed away with brain cancer at the age of 15. So the guy has faced his fair share of adversity already, and his career hasn't even started. But huge pocket disruptor here, and I think that he could have a lot of impact on a defensive line that definitely needs some help in Dallas. I like that. Um, number 27, the Buffalo Bills. I feel like there's a lot of different ways that they could go with this pick here, but I actually have them kind of replacing uh, Tremaine Edmonds with um, linebacker Drew Sanders out of Arkansas. 
who had an absolutely phenomenal year. I think he was second, only behind Will Anderson Jr., who uh, is my who we both have going third overall in this draft. He was only second behind him in sacks with like nine and a half last season. So a really good player there. Um, you know, Von Miller has already offered a pretty decent pass rush to the Buffalo Bills, and I think that they kind of want to, you know, keep going down that route defensively because their offense is pretty awesome. So I like Drew Sanders out of Arkansas going to the Buffalo Bills. All right. I've got them just protecting Josh Allen because from what I saw of the Buffalo Bills last year is that Josh Allen did not have enough time in the pocket. They're going to take Osiris Torrance out of Florida. You took him real early, and I love that. I just I don't know how much people are bought in on him yet, but I think here the Buffalo Bills could certainly take him. You said it. He didn't give up a sack in college, which is so crazy, and – you know, I've talked about him a lot, but you know, broad uh, across, just a broad build, very good. You know, in college, matched up very well against Jalen Carter, which you know is a fantastic thing to see. He was penalty free last year, so it looks like he has exactly what you want out of like a day one starter. And you know, as he works in this offseason, I think that he certainly will be a day one starter if he gets taken by the Bills. I like it. Um, okay, so. Next, we have the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that they're going to go Dalton Kincaid here, tight end out of Utah. You said it earlier. This dude's an absolute monster, probably the best tight end in this draft, and I think he'll have, in my opinion, he'll have an immediate impact anywhere he goes. Um, in this case, I have him going to the Bills or the Bengals. Sorry. Um, ever since the Bengals kind of lost Tyler Eifert, you know, he was supposed to be he was a highly touted player in the NFL and had a couple good seasons with Andy Dalton, but. Ever since then, they, you know, he just kind of flopped, and the Bengals have kind of just been rocking it without a tight end. So I think this is a position that they got to address in an offense where Joe Burrow loves to get everybody the ball. You know, Jamar Chase is his guy, but, you know, you're seeing receptions all across the board in this offense. So that's why I think Dalton Kincaid would be an awesome pickup, is because I think day one, he would already be getting receptions from Joe Burrow. Yeah, I, I like the idea of a tight end, and I took one as well. I've got Michael Mayer from Notre Dame going there. He's a fantastic combination of very strong run blocking and he's got the size and very good at making catches underneath, which is something that Joe Burrow needs. He's got the deep threats with the wide receivers, so if he can have a tight end that can make catches underneath the defense, it's going to be a big game changer for them. Obviously, you know, they're missing the the tight end powers that they've had the last couple of years with Hayden Hurst last year, CJ Uzama the year before. They need to do this they, they need to take a tight end here, I'm, I'm kind of convinced, because if you can help the run blocking, which you're kind of missing right now, you're going to help out Joe Mixon, who really needs something to boost him after a very bad year last year. But you also end up, in turn, protecting Joe Burrow and helping him out and helping this entire offense out with that tight end pick. So I think Michael Mayer is a great pick here. I, I like it. Um yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree that the Bengals are, um, you know, going to definitely take tight end. I feel like that's a big uh, position for them. And there's a lot of good tight ends in this draft because uh, Mayer is also a dog. So yeah. um, number 29, we have the New Orleans Saints. Um, this is a – I can't really – what is it? From France, from San Francisco through Miami and Denver. Yeah, that that's just a bunch of people have traded this pick. Oh, okay. I got you. I just didn't, I couldn't read it whenever I was taking my notes last night, and I was like, "What is he talking about?" But okay, I understand. 
Um, so yeah, this pick has been kind of passed around. And I feel like the Saints are going to take Edge Miles uh, Miles Murphy out of Clemson. Um, really good guy, um, very versatile. He has like a kind of a rare rare qualities uh, as an athlete, I think. And we're we're seeing that a lot from defensive ends. Is your your edges are kind of like you know doing everything now. You're you're watching them get interceptions. You're watching them be super athletic. You're watching them fly. You know around offensive tackles to get sacked. So Edge is kind of taking on a new meaning in the NFL, and they're they're kind of doing everything. And I feel like Miles Murphy is the guy for the Saints, and they've already lost a couple guys on their defensive line um, this offseason. So Miles Murphy is kind of one of those guys that you can probably even move around across the line, and he'll still get it done. Yeah, I love that. And I've also got them taking Edge. I've got them taking Keon White out of Georgia Tech here. Um I think it's safe to say now, Keon White, you don't need to pack two suits for the combine. I think everybody that got invited is probably going to go in the first round. Um, so Keon White, though going pretty late, uh, I do really like him as a prospect. Super, super athletic. That's kind of his biggest thing here. Um, 6'5", 285, very big for an edge. Uh, we have We didn't see him run at the combine, um, I, and I didn't get to catch his pro day, but uh, I think he's got pretty good speed for his size. But the big thing is the athleticism. He's got pretty good pursuit speed, very good with his hands uh, at the you know right at the snap. Really good at bullying downhill power rusher. I really like him as a prospect, and uh, I think Keon White could be really good and uh, kind of a steal this late in the draft. Yeah, no, I, I like that um, a lot. Um, at number thirty. The the Philly Eagles, man. God, I can't believe they have this many picks in the first round, too. They're another team, man. They're they're too good. They should have to give this shit up because they're just they're just hogging it at this point. But I think they're gonna take Edge Nolan Smith out of Georgia. Look, I mean, there's been a completely, you know, there's been a Georgia, uh, a Georgia culture being built in Philly, you know, with um, oh my gosh, Nicobe Dean. Jordan Davis, and I feel like they're gonna keep going down that route. I feel like their defensive line could still be better and especially their edges. And I think they're going to take Nolan Smith out of Georgia, who has been he, – he's just a crazy blend of size and athleticism. Um, really, really, really physical guy. Um, great against the pass and the run. Um, definitely could still, you know, have improvements in his pass, but he's still impactful um, as a pass rusher. Just needs to kind of, you know, I guess, work on getting to the quarterback a little bit better and offering more pressure. But – I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to take uh, another Georgia player, and that'll be the edge, Nolan Smith. All right. I've got them, once again, bolstering the defensive line, going for the interior, filling that spot that's left with Javon Hargrave uh, leaving. They're going to take Mozzie Smith out of Michigan, just a giant, giant human being in the middle of the field. 6'3", 323, uh, just a super athlete, 34 on the bench press. NFL comparison, Dontari Poe. Absolutely love that one. Super, super strong. Uh, he, he can kind of slide. He's got a, a variety in his pass rushing options, and he's got the power to just push over a tackle. So I love this pick uh, here at 30. Mozzie Smith is a fantastic selection. Okay, well, my last pick of the draft goes to the Super Bowl champions, the Chiefs. I think they're going to go with offensive tackle Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma, a guy who was actually selected first team um, all big 12 conference player um, opted out to prepare for the draft, but this is an absolute dog. Um, 
And I just feel like the Chiefs, you know, they've kind of added weapons everywhere. And like you said, they've proven that they can kind of um, they can run an offense, you know, through Patrick Mahomes, you know, through that kind of like situational quarterback and that kind of system quarterback, you know, ideology there. And I feel like Anton Harrison, a tackle, is just going to help, you know, boost Patrick Mahomes in the um, and that whole like systematic, you know, way that he plays there uh, for Andy Reid. So I like the Chiefs going offensive tackle Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma. All right. Final pick in the first round. I've got the Kansas City Chiefs going for kind of tackle slash edge. He's been seen pretty versatile between the two. Uh, out of Tomawa, a double war out of Northwestern. I've loved this guy since I watched him at the combine. 6'2, 282. He can really play both defensive end and defensive tackle. And, you know, a little bit short for the edge, a little bit small for the middle, but. I think it'll work out well. And the Chiefs here, look, they're loaded everywhere. And it gives them the opportunity to just take a guy with potential because he doesn't have to start. They don't need to get a starting player here at 31. They can take a guy that's a little bit of a project. And I think that that's why I really like here because he can certainly start the year as a backup. And if he starts doing really well, he can come in, he can start. But... I think he's a down-the-road kind of pick because, look, they're coming off of a Super Bowl. There's not much that they need to improve. I was about to say, their their defensive line is already pretty damn good with, you know, guys like Chris Jones and Karlaftis on there. So that just kind of even bolstering it even more. And like you said, kind of having a project guy that can sit behind some of those dudes, I feel like that's a pretty good pick. So I like that take a lot. All right, Luke. That does it for the NFL Round 1 mock draft. I, I think we both had some fantastic picks. I love the fact that we weren't just like agreeing on a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, and but that's you know, that's kind of how this draft is gonna be, I think. I, I guarantee you there, there's a, probably a good chance that I might get maybe four of these correct. Maybe even less. <laughs> hey, look, I'm in the <laughs> same boat. I would just I would just love it if I get that trade right. What was that trade again? The the Patriots trading up to ten with the Eagles. Oh, yeah. If I can get that one right, it's a win for me, even if every other pick is wrong. No, if you get that right, I will be sneaking into your house when you're sleeping to find that final <laughs> Dude, <laughs> no I, one, I, No one predicts trades like that. <laughs> no, nobody does. But I, I really do like what we had here. Uh, it's going to definitely serve for a, a fantastic draft night special that we're putting on next week. I, I think we're going to have a whole lot of fun with that one. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to hopefully get, you know, all three of us together for the first time. Uh, and what a time to do it. And, you know, a, a draft with so much talent. I, I feel like this one is so much more loaded than usual, or maybe it's just because I'm keeping up with football more because of the podcast. But there are some, like, you know, Jordan Addison, I did not have going in the first round. He is a crazy good talent that I may should have had going in the first round. But there are going to be so many, so many good guys left over in the second round. And I just feel like uh, this draft is going to be one for the ages. Yeah, I'm going to have so much fun, and we're going to have a ton to talk about. Uh, I think, you know, I haven't talked to anybody yet about this. I think we, I might try and, you know, get a couple people to just pop in uh, throughout the draft, talk with us, talk through some of the picks they've seen. So um, probably some familiar faces uh, to the episodes. And then, of course, uh, Tuesday or, you know, Wednesday's episode next week, um, it's going to be all NFL uh, we're going to, me, uh, my friend Mike, he's going to come on. 
He's going to uh, join along, talk some NFL news, but I'm going to have him break down me uh, my mock draft because uh, I won't be able to have Luke there for it to break down his, but um, we're going to get some opinions from Mike as well on my mock draft that day. So it's going to be an interesting one. It's all draft coverage next week. That's what it's all about, and uh, I'm super excited. Yeah, cannot wait for next week, man. All right, Luke, let's do it. The guilty pleasure segments, as I like to consider them. Let's get into some <laughs> soccer. We'll start let's with the Champions it. League. Unfortunately, we're starting here. <laughs> Chelsea, zero, nil. Uh, Real Madrid, two. Uh, Real Madrid advances, four, nil on aggregate. It's a tough one, Luke. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough when you have to watch Kerkerea play. Who, granted, actually had a really good game against Real Madrid, but it's, it, it's. I, I know I keep saying this. I'm like a broken record. I, I don't know if you actually watch the highlights, Grayson, or even watch the game. Nope. But it, it's <laughs> it's just one of those <laughs> where Chelsea had chances again. I mean, the first half, you know, Chelsea are there. Of course, it could be because Real Madrid are you know sitting back because they have that two goal cushion from the first leg. Chelsea just they had the chances. Kirk Correa, oh my god. Kirk Correa and N'Golo Conte absolutely missed sitters. Um, and, and it's just so unfortunate. And that's the kind of luck that Chelsea had. You know, your sitters are for guys like Conte and Kirk Correa. Those are not the guys you want on the end of those. Um, and it and it falls to them. And Courtois just Courtois had a fantastic game against uh, against Chelsea, which I really can't stand that guy, but um you know, he's he's a fantastic goalie. Um, and then I guess the really the only thing that I have left is Rodrigo's lucky that I wasn't the goalie for Chelsea uh, during his second <laughs> goal because he um, he took a touch that I didn't appreciate. It was uh, Valverde makes this awesome run, passes it across the goal. And it's I mean, it's a sure goal. But Rodrigo tries to kind of like, you know, kind of just walk it into the goal. If, if I was Kepa, my cleat would have been in Rodrigo's, you know, jugular. Uh, I wouldn't have appreciated that very well at all. But Kepa did. I mean, he laid him out, which is what I would have tried to do. But Rodrigo scores and Real Madrid go through. And, I, yeah, fair play to Real Madrid. They're they're absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But, right. yeah, Rodrigo pissed me off. Luke, I got I got a question. Frank Lampard's starting 11 again. Uh-oh. Why the fuck is Conte playing center, like attacking mid? It, it beats me. Uh, that uh, one I, I, don't I would have been fine if he just put Kovacic there. Like, I wouldn't even really question that one. But, like, Conte is defensive first, in my mind. And you've got to put him deep. You can't have him trying to be a playmaker when, yes, Kai Havertz can play the striker position. But not the most reliable like I've I've said this before, you guys don't have a striker on your roster other than Aubameyang, who's barely a player. So I, I just I, I question it, and obviously Cucurella just having to watch him play is painful. It's it's complete bullshit, and I, I completely agree with you in this case. Um, Enzo Fernandez needs to be deep, in my opinion. Yes, he he's that's fine. the Pirlo of this Chelsea team. He has the vision, like the vision is god tier. His passing was so like. I knew it was good, but I didn't know it was going to be this good. He is fantastic, but you're completely right. Kovacic and Conte need to swap positions here. I have no problem with Kovacic being the starter here. No problem with Conte being the starter here, but it's the positioning. Um, and 
Yeah, Kovacic is way more uh, – he's way better at chance creation than N'Golo Conte is, um, which is probably why that sitter felt to N'Golo Conte. It was like a cross that came in. He was wide open and just completely mishit the volley with his weak foot. I mean, just so unfortunate that it had to be Conte in that position. But you're, you're completely right. Kovacic and Conte need to be swapped there. Yeah, I would have rather seen uh, – even if you – okay, you could have kept Kovacic in the starting lineup. That's fine. But – you could have put Yao Felix there. You could have put uh, Mason Mount there. Even Raheem Sterling could have played Cam. Like, it doesn't matter. There was so many ways to go about this, and instead you put one of the best CDMs of the last, like, six years at Cam. Yeah, it's um, that, that'll just never work out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm very much questioning Frank Lampard at the moment. Yeah, uh, and, and it could be, you know, Frank Lampard doesn't want to change the team too much is because this is kind of a similar lineup to what I feel like we would see with uh, Graham Potter. And I, I don't think, you know, Frank Lampard wants to make anything too drastic because we are, you know, coming down to the end of the season here. Um, I have to shout out Trevor Chaloba. Honestly, he didn't look that bad at all. Um, really great with how he played in this second leg. I mean, the Champions League is a big deal for these young guys, and he showed up against a really good Real Madrid team. Um, Wesley Fafana, kind of shit, um, very underrated, or not underrated, um, very kind of just, you know, inconsistent. That was the word I was looking for in this Chelsea lineup. Um, and I guess the, the last thing I could say is Kai Havertz and Jao Felix, are, they literally do the same thing, and you already kind of hit on it earlier. They are both really good chance creators, and it's why this Chelsea team isn't so boring to watch. Yeah, they don't score, but the chances are there, and it's a lot to do with Kai Havertz and Jao Felix. but they're they're not the goal scorer. They need to be paired with the goal scorer, and and that's exactly that. That's why Chelsea are so bad, in my opinion. That's why we can't get results. Yeah, that's my problem. This starting lineup has zero finishers and four chance creators, with Kovacic, Fernandez, Havertz, and Connor Gallagher. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. But exactly. Real Madrid once again they come out with a, a very similar lineup. I think the same lineup um, as last week. Same setup, and once again, just an impenetrable force. Not as good of a game from Karim Benzema. Rodrigo picks it up after I fucking said that he didn't add much to this front three. But it's fine. <laughs> he, he, he obviously heard it. Shout out Rodrigo. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's crazy. We must have some international listeners, though. I was looking into the numbers. Uh, Amstelveen, Netherlands. We've got 96 <laughs> downloads from there. Whoa. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. So shout out everybody. Uh, I know I've got some downloads in Belgium, uh, a couple in France as well. Uh, shout out all of the European listeners. Yeah. I wonder if that is because of the soccer. That has to be, right? Could be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Shout out to you guys. Thanks for listening um, to hear two Americans just spew just bullshit on, you know, soccer. <laughs> um, and, and I know, you know, we've kind of talked a lot about Chelsea because, you know, they're my favorite team and I know the most about them. But Real Madrid on the other side, man, like I said earlier, Thibaut Courtois absolutely showed up against his old team and his old stadium. Looked, he was completely the best player for Real Madrid, in my opinion. Um, Rodrigo, you know, he got the two goals, but in my opinion, that was kind of it. Um, created some chances, but I, I think Courtois was way more essential than Rodrigo to getting the win here. Um Camavinga, like, what is he, 13 years old, already a starting <laughs> member of this Real Madrid team. He looks absolutely ridiculous. There's no 
there is no wavering in his game. And I like the, I liked what you said about him. He really is what Paul Pogba should have been. And uh, that was all Grayson that said that I can't take the credit for that, but he very much resembles Juventus Paul Pogba, but more of like a defensive kind of minded player. And it's uh he's one of my favorite players in the entire world right now. Yeah. Uh, I love what Real Madrid has going for him right now. I honestly, like, I would not change this lineup at all. But I will say, it would be interesting to see them run a five at the back. If they had um, the back three with, uh, and I I don't know, did Alaba get hurt or did he just get subbed off after the half? Um, I, I don't know, actually. Because you wouldn't typically see, you know, especially David Alaba getting subbed out in the 46th. Yeah, no, um... For, uh, for Rudiger, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. But that's, that's interesting. I would like to see a back three of Eder Militao, David Alaba, and Antonio Rudiger because Eder Militao and Antonio Rudiger are pretty fast guys in the back, uh, in the defense. And then Carvajal could definitely play some wing back. Kamavinga would be a fantastic left wing back. And he could also kind of contribute into the midfield that would most likely be Modric and Valverde. I know like Cruz is still playing very well, but I think if I have to take anybody out of this lineup, especially in the midfield, it'd probably be Tony Cruz. Um because Valverde's playmaking ability has just been fantastic throughout the like this entire season. Yeah, no, I, I like the five at the back idea, but I, you know, you you kind of said it before you even made that point. Is this lineup is just just works for this team? So I I don't really think I would change it. But yeah, maybe as Cruz and Modric get older, you can kind of replace them with more um, kind of athletic driven midfielders, and then run that five at the back. That way, you know the midfielders' uh, own athleticism can compensate for having less in the midfield. So I, I definitely do like that idea and. I can confirm that Alaba did get subbed because of a muscle injury at halftime. So maybe, okay. maybe a big deal for uh, Real Madrid going forward. Who knows? I mean, they have, you know, Rudiger and uh, I think Nacho um, Fernandez that can play there as well, who have both been, you know, awesome defenders for Real Madrid. So I don't think Alaba getting hurt is really too much of a worry, but it still is a big blow to Real Madrid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to get back to what you're saying about the, the physical midfielders because I think that they could have a very interesting midfield, you know, as Tony Cruz and Modric kind of go out of this lineup, Kamavinga and Aurelien Schwameni in the midfield with Valverde, like that midfield would, you know, in a couple of years' time, it's probably going to be the best midfield in Europe. Yeah, um, if I'm a, any other team in Europe with money, buy Schwameni before he works his way into this Real Madrid starting eleven, which he already kind of has in some games. Schwamini and Kamavinga, all I can say is remember the names. Just those two players I absolutely adore. Um, and, and like you said, in a five-back with them two as midfielders and, you know, kind of like a French partnership there, man, that would be deadly. Yeah. All oh, right. Man, well, we've, already, we've gawked a lot over this game. <laughs> I was about to say, we really like that one. But let's talk Napoli versus Milan, a Serie A oh, yes. matchup. Napoli scores one. Uh, they actually draw Milan in this match, but Milan takes it on aggregate 2-1. They advance to the semifinals. What's kind of your first take on this one? My first take is that AC Milan are fucking back, Grayson. And I was watching the highlights last night whenever I was taking my notes, and um, just what a crazy end-to-end game, man. Like, you can definitely tell 
that these are two Italian teams that aren't very fond of each other playing because I can genuinely say that going into this second leg, Napoli and AC Milan were not scared to lose to one another. It was one of the most entertaining one-to-one draws I have ever watched in my entire life. You had two penalty saves in this game, um, you know, both on um, either side, you know, great goalie performances. um, But Giroud's goal, all I can say is Rafael Liao is a fucking god-tier player. That counterattack that he had, I mean, he takes the ball from pretty much his own box. And Rafael Liao is like a 6'3", like probably like 190 winger. So he's already kind of built a little bit awkwardly, you know, with that height there. But he is so fucking fast and so fucking strong. I mean, he literally takes the ball from his own half, runs past every Napoli player, which is hard to do with the ball. When you're dribbling with the ball, you really should be slower than most people, but he's just running past them. Um, and then, um, oh my gosh, what was the defender's name? Amir um, Romani? Just, like, I mean, he was the first player to make co- contact on Rafael Leal, like, towards the box. And Rafael Leal pretty much just said, no, absolutely not. Fought past him, crossed the ball, gave Giroud a perfect pass on a silver platter to redeem Giroud from his penalty miss earlier in the game. And AC Milan go one nothing up. That whole play, that sequence was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, and the celebration. Rafael Leal was about to polish Giroud's shoes. Giroud yes. denied that and returned the favor. Yeah, because Leal ran past the entire team. <laughs> yeah, uh, a fantastic yeah. performance, really on both sides. Both teams played very well. Um, yeah. Both of them getting penalties saved, which is just a tough sight. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm still happy with how Napoli played in this one. I just, I don't know, I needed a little more fire out of the gates from them. And it's yeah, tough. Um, Two guys go down with injury. In, in the 34th, like that, that's pretty difficult to deal with. But, you know, it, it's just, it's part of the game. Yeah, it's part of the game. But um, luckily for Napoli is they had Victor Osman back. And you could, I mean, you could tell he was there. I mean, Cavera, Donna, and Osman is such a underrated um, winger-striker duo. They just look so good when they're on the pitch at the same time. And um, Ozzyman ended up getting a late goal. It was a really, really nice header um, in stoppage time. Obviously, too little, too late there. But, um, yeah, like you said, you put it perfectly. Both of these teams played really well. And it kind of goes along. I I cannot stress this enough. They they played legitimately like they did not care if they get knocked out by one another. It was just – it was such a fun game to watch between two Italian teams. And – AC Milan ended up coming out on top. They just they defended sound the entire time. Yeah, and shout out to good old Magic Mike Mayan in goal. Three saves, one saved penalty, uh, huge because they were just firing shots at him. Twenty three total shots from Napoli. They held seventy four percent of the possession in this one. And uh, shout out to just all of Milan's defense for holding holding strong. Yeah, and I, I actually wanted to talk about that too. Is um, thanks for bringing that up. You, um, AC Milan, definitely were letting Napoli have most of the ball. Um, and, and you know, seventy-six possession. Usually, you think, "Wow, they dominated the game." It, it didn't really look like that to me. AC Milan were very comfortable without the ball and just kind of sitting back and defending. And it, it was a it was a good defensive display to watch. Um, Simon Cahier and um, Fikayo Tamori are such an underrated center back duo, man. They just look so good together. Um, 
Uh, and, you know, you also have guys like Teo Hernandez and Davide Calabria who are just honestly two of the most underrated fullbacks in the entire world. Um, they look fantastic. And, yeah, AC Milan ended up getting the dub. Yeah, they're, they're such a – they're like a very complete team. And, and it's not like they're full of big names, you know. They're, they're relatively – in in theory, they're all rather small names. Other than like the guys that have kind of emerged on the scene this season, these guys have just played very well as a unit, and that's what's propelling them to win these games. Exactly, Stefano uh, Pioli. Pioli, he's just such a good manager for AC Milan. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about the um, the semifinal, the the Milan Derby in the in the UCL semifinal. That's going to be an insane game, man. All right, well, let's talk about Bayern versus Man City first. Bayern only scores one here. They tie it up with Man City 1-1, but Man City advances 4-1 on aggregate. How do you feel about this? Because we were pretty high on Bayern going into the quarterfinals, and they've just kind of fell flat. I, and it's, you know, I'm kind of a degenerate whenever it comes to predicting um Manchester City games because I love to I love to predict them to lose. I, I think it is so fun because I really can't fucking stand them. But they completely made me eat my words in the second leg because something that no one talks about with Manchester City is their defense. And wow, did that show against Bayern in the second leg. Bayern were in Munich, but it simply did not matter. Manchester City defended, I mean incredibly well and especially you know with Chupo Moting being back you could definitely tell that Bayern's offensive production was um you know they were getting better chances with Moting um on the pitch but Manchester City man they just completely had them locked down the entire game yeah uh I will say tough penalty miss for Erling Holland. obviously was just trying to power it past Jan Sommer and um powered it into the crowd uh that was a tough one but <clears throat> Overall, I really like how Manchester City's lining up. We talked about it last week. I love John Stones and holding midfield. Rodri adds so much to this kind of like right at the center of the field defense. Like once Bayern gets the ball in their box, it's pretty hard to get past Rodri in the middle of the field because he works so well in open space. I love what he can add. Um, obviously, Erling Holland scoring another fucking goal. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne with the assist on that one. I'm very happy with how Manchester City looks, and they honestly they kind of look unbeatable. But they're coming in to an unbeatable force themselves in Real Madrid. Yeah, um, what a semifinal that's going to be. But um, yeah, just kind of to echo what you said, this Manchester City lineup is just so it, it's interesting because it's very awkward, but you can't dog it because it. I mean, it just absolutely works for them. Um, I like how Bayern didn't go with Alfonso Davies in this game. Davies had a really, really poor, um, unfortunate first leg here. And they went with Jao Cancelo, someone who's played against Manchester City. And uh, kind of funny, he got a red card – or not a red card. He got a yellow card and was not happy about it. Um, already kind of talking trash to his former team there, which was really fun to watch. Um, Yen Summer, one of the most underrated goalies in the world. He honestly, even in the 3-0 first leg loss, looked decent in my opinion. Um, and in this game, he looked really good. And it really just kind of, for Bayern, I, I don't want to blame it all on him because I really like this young guy and I really feel for him. But Upa Meccano, Grayson, absolutely brutal 
just horrible first and second leg games. Um, a 5.8 match rating in the first leg, a 1.9 rating this time. And I think he was actually the one who gave up the penalty um, yep. to Erling Holland and got a yellow card as well. Just, you know, I, I feel for the kid. Is it, It's a big stage to play in. And he's someone with a lot of potential, you know, coming in from Leipzig. But um, just Manchester City absolutely exposed this young guy. Yeah, uh, just kind of the the way that Bayern played. They played super physical in this one, and it doesn't seem like that's their game. Uh, Cancelo picked up a yellow. Upamecano picked up a yellow. Pavard and Kimmich as well. And Thomas Tuchel got sent off as well. So, like, they were really in it, and I just feel like they weren't playing their game. Yeah, uh, that, that's a pretty good way to put it. Um, another player that I kind of want to highlight is um, Leroy Sané. Just kind of, in my opinion, looked he, he looks kind of ineffective um, in this Manchester City um, game. He pretty much was their entire offense in the first leg, but I don't know if I could really call him effective in the first leg. He had a lot of shots that were outside the box that Ederson a thousand percent had covered every single time. And in this game, it was kind of the same thing. He had a couple long shots where his Bayern teammates were looking at him like, what are you doing? Like, you know, keep possession. Let's pass the ball and have better shots. But Sané was just ripping him from the outside the box, and Ederson was making him kind of look silly again. Yeah, don't blame Sadio Mane. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, I'm actually surprised he even got playing time in this game. I, I think Bayern is kind of done with Mane. I've heard a lot of rumors that he might yeah. already be out. Well, that's kind of what happens when you, when you you punch Sadio Mane, or sorry, when you punch uh, Leroy Sané. Yeah, no, a hundred percent there. But um, yeah, just a, a brutal game. I would have loved to have seen Bayern really make this one close, but <laughs> Manchester City, like you said, just look unbeatable. Just very, very scary. Yeah, I would have liked to see Serge Gnabry in this game. Probably sub out Sané earlier, bring in Gnabry because it was obvious, like you said, Sané could not really hold it up, and um. You know, when you need offense, like they needed offense in this match, they start down three nil. Like, what are you going to do here? You've got to load up the offense, and it just seemed like they couldn't do it. Yeah. And actually, you know, personally, to kind of go off of that, I know Benjamin Pavard has been awesome, but maybe, you know, kind of going back on what I said earlier, maybe you play Alfonso Davies at left back and maybe move Jao Cancelo to right back and play Serge Gnabry or sub him in a little bit earlier because you're exactly right. Offense is what they needed. They needed to come out and just, you know, not not really defend, I guess, um, to say. But, like, you know, they just they kind of really didn't. They, they played like a very normal game, which I guess is kind of what you're talking about, is Byron played this game as if there wasn't a first leg. Yeah. And they were they were just a little bit too conservative in my opinion. Yeah. Which, which I get it. If you're gonna play all out attacking football against Manchester City, this lineup will murder you if you try to do that. Absolutely murder you. I mean, well Erling Holland, you know, is if you're playing all out attacking like that, Erling Holland's gonna be up there alone by himself and only have, you know, maybe one or two defenders to beat. And he's already shown that Upa Meccano is his bitch. I mean, sorry to say that, but like that Upa Meccano got destroyed. There, were, there was really no way that Byron could have played attacking in this game, I feel like. So just a really bad situation for Byron after the first leg. And, you know, they really couldn't do anything in the second leg. Yeah. All right. Let's talk Inter versus Benfica. Uh, absolutely thrilling game here. Uh, Inter 
uh, they draw 3-3, Inter advances 5-3 on aggregate, but Benfica put up quite the fight. Yeah, they did. Of course, um, you know, a lot of Benfica's games were, you know, kind of coming in your garbage time, I guess, of, uh, of soccer. But still, I mean, I, I that is actually something that I have in my notes. I 100% condemn Benfica for how they played. I mean, you know, um, I think the last time we recorded, I was kind of saying that, you know, it, it was good that Inter already won um, 2-0 in the first leg in Portugal because the San Siro is a super hard place to play, especially if you're 2-0 down in the Champions League. But Inter, uh, or not Inter, Benfica really showed up um, against the um, against the away fans. So that was really good to see. Yeah, or against uh, the home fans. Uh, a fantastic game from Lautaro Martinez, an assist and a goal, um, as well as Federico DeMarco, two assists in this one. I really like how Inter lined up for this. It, me too. Um, DeMarco is a awesome wing back. So is Dumfries. I mean, probably better than DeMarco in my opinion. Of course, he didn't have a better game than DeMarco, but Dumfries is fantastic at that wing back spot. Um, Ed and Jekko, your veteran there. Uh, I like the kind of rotation that they have between Jekko and Lukaku coming in late in the games to kind of bully the defenders that are already tired. I think that works out really well for Inter. Um, yeah, Inter just they they looked really good too. I mean, they scored five here. Um, and value uh Odysseus, uh Benfica's goalie was just kind of getting torn up in this game, bless his heart. But um yeah, Inter looked really good. Uh Barella's first goal, absolutely insane. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, just a great finish. Um, same thing with Correa's goal that made it 3 1. Uh Correa got um brought in on in the, like the 76 minute and literally like three minutes later. Scored an absolute worldie, um, and it was just uh, this was a really entertaining game to watch. Yeah, beautiful goal, absolutely like, as top bins as it could get from that angle. Yeah, for sure. All right, Luke. So, what are we thinking? The quarter, or sorry, the semifinals are set. Uh, Real Madrid versus Man City and Milan versus Inter. Let's start oh, Real Madrid versus Man City because I know you're excited about Inter and uh, AC Milan. Yeah, so I mean, this is every every soccer fan's dream, really. You have the um, Derby della Madonnina in the uh, semifinal with Inter and um, AC, and then you have the two best teams, arguably in the entire world, for the second game. It, it's absolutely amazing. Um, I I think you know the key for Real Madrid and the key to stopping Manchester City is you have to have a first leg where you either tie or are winning. Because you are, you know, like like we have saw with Bayern, if you go into a second leg down by multiple goals, it's going to be kind of hard to play that all-out attacking soccer that you're going to need to, you know, crawl back in that game without letting Holland, you know, run, run free against your defenders. So what's going to be key is for Real Madrid to have a much better start than Manchester City, I think. Yeah, I think a big thing here is going to be um, who's playing out wide for both teams because you're going to run into some problems because they've got very strong fullbacks on both sides but strong wingers as well. So it's going to be all about the, the, the prowess and the chance creation in the middle. And I think that I don't know which one's better, but I think I'm going to take the kind of the partnership of Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Holland over – the partnership of, uh, I guess, you know, Tony Cruz or Valverde. Uh, Valverde typically playing more right center mid, but 
let's just say for the benefit of the doubt, uh, Valverde and Benzema, I, you know, at this moment in time, I'm taking KDB and Holland to kind of win that battle in the middle. Yeah, I think for me, it's a little bit opposite. I, I think Manchester City definitely has the quantity of um, center mids there, but I personally, I just cannot bet against, you know, Cruz, Modric, and Valverde. That They complement each other so well. And with, you know, one of the best players in the world, Benzema up top, you know, who's a better center forward-esque uh, striker than Holland is, you know, Benzema can kind of drop back into that midfield and kind of help keep the possession of the ball Next thing you know, he's making a run that's completely sliced through everybody, and ben- Vinicius Jr. is finding him on a cross, you know. Um, but, you know, like I said, none of that's going to matter if Manchester City go up multiple goals, which, yeah. which they've proven that they totally can. So it, it, it's going to be a tough, good game, and I am just very excited for this one. Yeah, I will say Real Madrid has had quite a route to this point in the Champions League, they've played some some difficult opponents. But the last two rounds, they had Chelsea and Liverpool. Now they just keep it in England. It's it's a very interesting way to go about this Champions League for them. Could you imagine Real Madrid knocking out like three of the best English teams? And I, I, I say that lightly because of Chelsea, but like that that's actually kind of funny that they've completely just canceled out the Premier League. Yeah, <laughs> in the Champions it's League. crazy. They're poised to. Awesome. Awesome stuff. All right. And then Inter versus, um, sorry, Inter versus AC Milan, uh, you know, two home games for both yeah. teams. Um, yeah. They're both going to be played at the same stadium at the San Siro. And God, it's just, I, I love the AC Milan and Inter Milan. Like this rivalry is so underrated in my opinion. The, the TIFOs that both of the ultras have, I mean, this, this is going to be a bigger deal than Real Madrid, Manchester City. Do not get it confused. Um, this game will will just be so good for the entire world of soccer. I cannot wait. Um, the last time that they faced each other in the Champions League knockout rounds was like in 2005, and it was the game where Dida got hit with a flare by the Inter fans, and the whole game got suspended, and AC Milan ended up going through on like a 3-0 aggregate. And... Um, that that's also the game. I, you'll definitely know what picture I'm talking about, Grayson. But that picture where um, Rui Costa and I can't remember who the Inter Milan player is, but they're standing there with their backs to the camera, watching like the flares hit the field from the Inter. Yeah, and they're yeah. talking. That that is the 2005 Champions League game um, that I'm talking about, and it's coming back. And and it's you know more modern. The teams are completely different. They line up different. They're you know completely different players. Obviously, since that was like eighteen years ago. Um, but it's just, oh man, I, I'm sorry. I've talked a lot about this game because I'm super excited about it. But I just cannot wait. The this atmosphere in the San Siro, the the season before it gets torn down, man. It's just going to be absolutely incredible. It's yeah. Favorite. Watch every minute because this is uh this is going to be amazing. Um. Totally in the same boat here. It's going to be a fantastic match to watch. Uh, May 10th, 3 p.m. Eastern time. It's definitely one that, even if you're not a fan of soccer, you can be a fan of just the atmosphere that you're going to see in this match. It's going to be insane. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to set the stage even more, both AC Milan and Inter are getting blown out of the water by Napoli and how they're doing in the Serie A right now. These teams, all they all they have left is the Champions League right now. So they're going to go all out for this. Um, 
And I mean, we already saw what it was like when AC Milan played Napoli. I mean, yellow cards everywhere, physical game, not scared to lose to each other at all. And I mean, multiply that times a million. And that's what's the, that's what this game's going to be. Yeah, uh, I love it. All right, Luke, let's talk about the Prem. Then we'll talk about FA Cup and we'll get out of here. Let's start Brentford versus Aston Villa. Kind of interesting that this is a good matchup, not a, two teams you typically think of when you're looking at great matchups late in the season, but these two teams have looked fantastic throughout the year. What a funky-ass season, man. But you're exactly right. We have a ninth-place Brentford versus sixth-place Aston Villa. Um, Aston Villa, man, are absolutely flying. They've won their last five in a row, coming off of a 3-0 against Newcastle. Completely battered them. And, you know, Newcastle, and this is something that you've said all throughout, you know, covering the Premier League, is Newcastle's defense is a force to be reckoned with. But Aston Villa, you know, especially Ollie Watkins, bagging two against this defense um, against Newcastle. So really good game there for Villa. And then Brentford, who started the season very strong, um, are kind of on a little bit of a skid right now. They've lost their last three. The most recent was a 2-0 defeat to Wolves where they didn't even score. So I, I think Villa are poised to win this game, but Brentford could make it a tough match. Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, Brentford on pretty bad form right now. Three straight losses and, yeah, some some tough matchups. But last week, you played Wolves and you lost 2-0. That is not a team you can be losing 2-0 to, especially at this point in the season. Like you need points, and obviously, like they're not really in contention at all for even the Europa League spot. But think about how great it would be for Brentford and just this squad in general to you know beat Liverpool in the league. They had the opportunity, and they've just kind of fucked it up. Yeah, exactly, um, and you know we we've both said that they've lost their last three, but they actually haven't won anything in their last five because they had a draw against Leicester where Brentford actually had a red card. They had a three three tie against Brighton, which is actually honestly a pretty good result there against a team like Brighton. But they haven't won since March, um, and I think that was March fifteenth against Southampton. It was a two nil defeat there. So Brentford, you know, it, what a game for them if they could show up against this Aston Villa team that's absolutely flying, but. Villa have gotten hot at the perfect time, and I said it pre-recording, Aston Villa might be in the fucking Champions League, Grayson. Yeah, they, they really are a fantastic team, and I, I see them certainly getting the win this week. I do, too. Um, if I had to give a score prediction, though, Brentford really, I mean, the 2-0 to Wolves, then they um, actually lost to Newcastle 1-2. Uh, and then a 1-0 defeat against Manchester United. So they're not scoring a lot. Um, I think it'll be a 2-0 win for Aston Villa. All right. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go 1-0 Aston Villa. Okay. I like it. All right. Newcastle versus Spurs. A, a fantastic matchup this weekend. Um, this is a big one. Newcastle needs these points. Because if Tottenham gets the win, they'll be even on points. Newcastle still will, you know, unless Tottenham wins by 12 goals, uh, Newcastle will still have the goals advantage. But I really would like to see Newcastle win because if Newcastle does win, Manchester United's on and off. They're off because they're playing in the FA Cup. Newcastle will be even on points, though they will have played an extra game over United. I think it would be huge for them to bounce back from that tough loss to Aston Villa and get even with uh, on points with Manchester United once again. 
I, I like it because I think um, that 3-0 loss to Brentford, yeah, it really sucks. Or no, to Aston Villa, sorry. That 3-0 loss to Aston Villa really sucks, and it looks bad on paper. But I think that was just kind of one of those where Newcastle just sort of meant a really hot team at a really bad time for them. And it's just one of those, you know, typical Premier League games where a team that's kind of supposed to be mid-table plays a team that's supposed to be pretty good. And then that pretty good team loses. We see it all the time in the Premier League because it's the best you know league in the world, at least in my opinion. Um, so I think it was kind of a fluke loss for Newcastle. I don't think we should be worried about it as far as their form goes moving forward because they were, I mean, really hot going into that game against Aston Villa. And I think they're going to beat Tottenham this time because uh, I was actually watching the um, the Spurs and Bournemouth game with my dad last weekend. And Tottenham, you know, it wasn't like Tottenham dominated and Bournemouth just got, you know, three lucky counterattacks. No, Bournemouth was out there really showing up against Tottenham. They had chances. They were having possession. And Tottenham just looked like hot garbage. So I, I think Tottenham are probably going to lose again. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm taking Newcastle 2-1. I'm going to go Newcastle 2-0. I'm picking another 2-0 again. All right. Before we get into the FA Cup, I do want to talk about the bottom of the table right now because the relegation race is still very hot. Uh, a couple of teams kind of starting to make a little bit of division. Uh, Bournemouth now at 33 points. They're they're cleared by six points right now of the relegation zone. Wolves have jumped up to 34 points. Crystal Palace at 36. So now uh, West Ham four points out. They're still certainly in the running. But some good results from West Ham. They got the 1-0 win over Fulham uh, and a 2-2 draw with Arsenal is as much as you could wish for for West Ham. But after them, from 16 to 20, Leeds, Everton, Nottingham Forest, Leicester, and Southampton have not picked up a win uh, in at least three games. Some of them three, or some of them four, some of them like six. So it's it's looking real bad. And with the form that 18, 19, and 20 with Nottingham, uh, Leicester and Southampton, it looks like they might be the three to get relegated. I'm thinking so because you're you're exactly right. Is that division um, we're definitely starting to see at the bottom of the table? And I mean, I I cannot stress enough that Bournemouth win over Tottenham, especially just visualizing how that win played out for the Prim table. That was a clutch win for Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, it really was. But you know, it's going to be tough for Everton as well, though. They are playing Crystal Palace this week. Crystal Palace has been on very good form. Three straight wins, and they were all came against bottom-of-the-table teams, but they're impressive wins nonetheless. 2-1 win over Leicester, a 5-1 win over Leeds, and a 2-0 win over Southampton. This is what they need to be doing. They need to be beating up on the lower-table teams, and um, I think that you know where Everton's at right now, uh, they're in a very bad spot. Um, they... They very well could switch out with Nottingham Forest. They could switch out with Leicester. Like, there's really no telling because Leicester could pick up points this weekend against Wolves and make it real tough for Everton. Sure can. And I mean, after Palace, uh, Everton have to try to play Newcastle. And Newcastle have looked really good, you know, despite the Aston Villa loss. So, yeah, Everton are going to need to, I mean, they're definitely going to have to prove themselves in the next couple of games. I just don't, I don't know if they will or can. Yeah. All right, let's talk FA Cup. There is, honestly, you know, there's one good matchup, and there's also Man City versus Sheffield United. (laughs) So, 
Sheffield United, man, what what a job they have done to make it this far. And this is why I love the FA Cup is it, it's it's definitely not as big of a deal as a Premier League, you know, title. But the FA Cup is where you actually have championship teams that get to compete against prim teams, which, you know, I would argue that English soccer is so competitive to where you can sometimes see these championship teams end up like this. Um, just a couple games that I've wanted to highlight from Sheffield United that they've played in the FA Cup is um, – they actually knocked out Tottenham in the fifth round, and they knocked out Wrexham in the round before that. Um, of course, Wrexham aren't as good of a team even as Sheffield United, but I just thought that was kind of funny to say. So Sheffield United have definitely played well up until this point, but if I was Sheffield, I would go ahead and be you know ready to not be in the FA Cup anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat here. Manchester City, uh, they've only ever won against Sheffield United. They've matched up four times uh, in their history – Manchester City's taken home all of them. Um, Manchester, Manchester City as well, unbeaten in 14 home games. That's absolutely ridiculous, and they just haven't lost in 15 matches. So, look, Manchester City's going to absolutely beat up on them. Doesn't matter what lineup they throw out there. Yeah, I, um, I actually didn't even realize, but Grayson, Manchester City are only four points behind Arsenal with a game in hand because yeah. Arsenal have played 31, Manchester City have played 30. Manchester close. City are in the yeah they're in the semifinal, as well as second place in the league with the game in hand, and they're in the semifinal of the Champions League. So I actually haven't heard a lot of people talking about this, but I was about to Manchester bring this up. City <laughs> could win the treble. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I wanted to talk about the FA Cup because it's truly a reality at this point that Manchester City has the opportunity to win a treble. It would be, I believe, Pep Guardiola's second if he wins it. Is that right? Didn't he win it with Barcelona? Or at least he yeah, won a that, Champions League. I know that. Yeah, no, he uh, he's won a treble with Barcelona. That like I think it was either 2009 or 2010 where he won the treble, and that Barca team was just absolutely unbeatable. Oh, yeah. They were crazy good. But the yeah. big thing here is Arsenal has got to pick up points. I, I know we're kind of veering away from the FA Cup for a second, but Arsenal, they've got to get the win against Southampton. Number one versus 20. They have to win this game because – Next week, when Manchester City comes back from this FA Cup break from the Prem, they face off. And if Arsenal drops or if Arsenal loses to Southampton and Manchester City comes back, they've still there's still a game down on Arsenal. If they get the win, I might I might have to say that Manchester City's got a good chance to win it all. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, Arsenal have had a great season, but no one is really talking about the fact that they did get knocked out of the Europa League by, like, sporting in Portugal or something like that. Um, obviously, with these semifinals, you know, Arsenal's not even in the semifinal of the FA Cup. Um, they didn't have Champions League soccer this year. No, You know, a lot of people have been, you know, kind of sucking Arsenal's dick, but I think we should kind of pump the brakes. Of course, this Premier League run for them has been absolutely amazing. I do not want to take anything away from their prim. You know, for a team as um, kind of like as a holistic, you know, if, you're, if we're going to look at their season holistically. Sorry, that took me a second to get out. Um, Arsenal have kind of, you know, they, they've had some disappointing games too. And man, if they were to somehow fumble this one against City, what a absolute bummer that would be for Arsenal fans. Yeah, it, it really would be a tough one. But let's get back to this FA Cup. I want to get your score prediction. Man City versus Sheffield United. I, you know what? I think Sheffield United have made it this far. Um, Manchester Manchester City still have a prim to play for. They still have a Champions League to play for. Um, 
I think we could see kind of a rotated lineup, even though it is a big cup semifinal. So I think it'll be probably like two nil. And I, that's another two nil, my third in a row. <laughs> All right. And yeah, I think I'm going to go Manchester City 4 1. 4 1. Yeah. Like uh, I will say, though, it, it seems like the Manchester City squad is very keen on winning this one because uh, I know. I saw a clip. I believe it was the CBS Sports Golasso team. They were talking to KDB after the game uh, against Bayern, and they were asking him about Arsenal, like you know, next week. And he was like, "We got to play Sheffield United this weekend. Like, you can't just look over it." Oh well, yeah, yeah. Um, it, even though they are a championship team, you know, the FA Cup is still a big deal. So, oh yeah, yeah. They, um, that's good that they seem to be still focused on that. All right, and then we've got another matchup. A much better matchup here. Brighton versus Manchester United in the other semifinal. Tons of injuries on both sides for this one. But I will say, the most interesting thing here is that Manchester United's top scorer this season in the FA Cup is Fred. Oh, really? Yes, he has two goals, two assists. Wow, look at Fred go. Um, Yeah, just to kind of highlight, you know, Manchester United's recent games... um, Coming off of a 2-0 win over Forrest in the Premier League, uh, Bruno had a fantastic showing, 9.1 rating. He's looking like, you know, one of the best players in the world recently. Um, and then something that we kind of talked about pre-recording, Martial being back, it's kind of cool to see, um, you know, Martial being Manchester United, uh, one of their, you know, biggest flops. It's still good to see him get reps because I do like Martial. Um, but Brighton, you know, have proven themselves all season long. Um, last game, their last game was actually against Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea took a 1-0 lead. It's kind of crazy that Chelsea even scored, but um, Brighton came back and won the game 1-2 with a absolute worldy of a goal. One of the best goals of the entire Premier League season. Um, it, it was just a long-range just screamer um, from one of the Brighton players. I can't even remember who it was, but um, yeah, we're, we're in for a good one here because Manchester United have looked good in all of the domestic cups. You know, winning the Carabao Cup against Newcastle, um, knocking out Fulham in an absolute thrilling game in the FA Cup that I, I remember you were watching and texting me about. So Manchester United have looked good in these domestic cups all year long, but Brighton just have proven themselves all year long, like I've said already. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, uh, that worldie uh, came from the right winger for Brighton, uh, Solly Branch, March, yeah, Solly March. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that was a. Like, did you see that goal? Yes, I did. It was absolutely ridiculous. unfucking believable. But, um, yeah, both of these teams look really good right now. Um, especially Brighton's ability to come back against a team that's you know still you know one of the better teams in the league. You know, Chelsea. I would say with just lineup wise, um, coming back against a team like Chelsea is always going to be a pretty good one. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really gain a, a score prediction is going to be kind of hard for this game for me. I think. Yeah. I, I think for me, the deciding factor here is the injuries to Manchester United because Marcus Rashford is doubtful this weekend. Varane's still out. Scott McTominay is probably going to be out as well. I know he hasn't been a key starter, but with the absence of Christian Eriksen, who has come back in, he was playing a little bit, but the biggest blow here I see is Lissandra Martinez. Uh, he broke his foot suffered that against Sevilla in the Europa League. And I think that that is going to be a key inactive here. I'm going to take Brighton 2-1. 2-1, yeah. That, 
That Martinez injury, man, just watching him get carried off by his uh, two Argentinian teammates on Sevilla was just such a like a beautiful soccer moment there. Um, I, sorry, I just wanted to say that because uh, you just reminded me of his injury. But um, I, you know what? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna also go bold here. I'm gonna take Manchester United. Or no, I'm gonna take Brighton. Hmm. Three two. I like it. All right. Think that's going to do it for us, Luke. Uh, I will say the Cardinals—they uh, will be announcing the uniforms tonight. Uh, we're recording early; it's about 2 p.m. right now. They haven't said anything. Uh, all they did was post a word search, uh, and the two words you can find in there uh, are "new uniform tonight." So, um, great, great marketing there. Yeah, fantastic. Hopefully, these jerseys don't fucking suck. Yeah, no, seriously, for sure. All right, Luke, anything you've got for the people? Um, Yeah, Mr. Mike, shout out to you for helping us do our episode on Tuesday, right? He's uh, he's going to be on yeah, Tuesday? he should be. I, I need, yeah, to, no, need uh, to get back in contact with him. I talked to him last yeah. week, though. He was locked in. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I just uh, good luck to him. I, I know he's going to do a great job. His football knowledge and his opinions are super, like, like well thought, I would say he's very kind of like deep. Whenever you ask him football questions, you know, just talking to him off the off the fly, you know. Um, so yeah, good luck to Mike. I hope he does a great job. I'm sure he'll do a great job. All right. Well, Luke, I think that's going to do it for us. I will see you on draft night. Yeah, let's get out of here, man. I can't All wait right. for draft. Night. We're gonna catch y'all later. Peace. Deuce.